Friday, June the 26th, 2020. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. This one will be a horse racing heavy episode as horse racing will be uh, still center stage over the next few weeks until we'll get back into the swing of things with baseball and, and basketball and we'll be able to start previewing football and we'll, we'll always continue to uh, keep the racing content up but it'll be a lot more racing while there's no other sport. So here are the conversations this week. Pleasanton with Chris Griffin, track announcer. We'll talk some Pleasanton Friday, some Pleasanton Saturday. Uh, we'll get you some Friday plays for Churchill, just a couple of them. We have Scott Shapiro who joins us to talk about the Saturday stakes races from Churchill Downs. We talk some Lone Star with Trey Styles. We go through the full card for Saturday Lone Star. And then uh, some thoughts on Saturday Belmont stakes races, Saturday Pleasanton, I mentioned that. And then we'll hit up the uh, the Ohio Derby at Thistledown, we close things out with Royal Rumble 1998 with Andrew Champagne and Darren Zocali. Lots of horse racing and then some wrestling, old wrestling rewatch to end things. Let's get right into our first interview. It's going to be Chris Griffin, track announcer from Pleasanton. We talk with him about the uh, the meet at Pleasanton, which kicked off last week. We'll give out a uh, Chris gives out a couple plays, uh, one for Friday, a couple for Saturday, and then after that, I'm going to talk some Pleasanton Friday with a late pick five. So we get right into the Friday plays and some Pleasanton talk with track announcer Chris Griffin. It is summertime in the horse racing world, so uh, a lot of racetracks that have been open for the last few weeks or months are closing, and some of the new summertime tracks are opening up. We all know that the the schedule of 2020 has really been thrown out of whack, but very happy in California to have the racing in Northern California uh, up at the fair circuit going on, and one gentleman who we've become very good with over the last year. You heard his voice over at Sam Houston, where they had a really strong meet, and now he's calling the races up at Pleasanton. That is Chris Griffin. Chris, how you doing, buddy? Great, Gino. It's great to talk to you as always. And uh, it's been a wild ride since that Sam Houston uh, conversation. Right? We Doesn't had. it feel like it feels like ten years ago, huh? <laughs> it does. Twenty twenty is making us age a little it bit. It really is. And it, it was obviously, you know, so many things have gone gone wrong. And and but it was a bummer because uh, Sam Houston was really, really going strong. It was picking up uh, steam. There wasn't a whole lot of the meat left. But what was um, what was going on there was good. There was a lot of buzz. A lot of people, I think, that hadn't played the Sam Houston races maybe in some years prior were really figuring out how cool that low takeout feature was. And, and things were going really well. So it was just a bummer having to end that way with the what, the, what was a really nice meet. Yeah, and it, it was just tough. It was a tough way for everything to happen. And obviously, just things have changed in the world, uh, not only the country. So um, Sam Houston's going to be back, and uh, I'm looking forward to being back. Um, and we'll just kind of weather the storm for a little bit and get through this. And um, I'm sure that the 2021 meet's going to be really exciting. And I'm, I'm looking forward to getting back with those folks uh, whenever that moment arises. But uh, it was a great meet. It was great to have the coverage and have uh, a lot of folks getting involved. And, yeah, it was a nice low takeout there and good wagering options. And uh, Lone Star's done a really nice job for all the, the Texas Preds and all the Texas horsemen as well. And they, they continued our Texas Champions Day. Uh, from Sam Houston and carried that over to, to uh, Lone Star Park. So that was nice to see and, and, and really rewarding for those Texas horsemen. And uh, yeah, you know, we'll just see what happens in 2021. I'm looking forward to being back. Well, back to where it all, all started up in Northern California. And for me, the, um, I was someone who, you know, growing up in Southern California, playing and going to Santa Anita, Hollywood Park and, and Del Mar a lot of the time, I would always be playing 
the racetrack that I'm watching there and then the northern California counterpart. That was just the way it always worked for me. Every other 15 minutes there'd be a race. I'm playing what's going on, always trying to beat Russell Bays, you know, uh, when you when you're younger growing up and now things have, have uh, shifted. It's it's a, it's a different world up there and in particular the the current Russell Bays uh, Juan Hernandez who had been a perennial top jockey up in northern California for a while. He's actually going to be heading down to southern California, so the landscape's shifting a little bit, but we have Racing back in, in in what we've Talked about as a crazy 2020 It's just so cool to be back in Northern California And we had opening weekend at Pleasanton Last week it looks like already In week two the field sizes are going to get a little Bit bigger this all kind of came apart Real uh, came together real quickly Chris yeah it really did uh, I got a call uh, just a couple weeks leading Into the meet actually um, that There might be a possibility to get back in the Booth and um, just kind of went through a few things and discussed with the, the missus and, and just, it worked out and I, I'll always love the fairs. You know, I said, a, I said a goodbye message back in 2019, but, uh, things change and, and situations change and uh, the, the carp was nice enough to give me the opportunity to get back. So, uh, back in the booth and we had our opening weekend and we're, we're following some strict protocols and guidelines as far as keeping everyone safe. Uh, with mask coverings and everything else that we have going on. And uh, it was a nice opening weekend. And, yeah, like you said, bigger field sizes going into the second weekend. And I think that you're going to see that response, uh, hopefully, from the horsemen here in Northern California. And we're looking forward to a nice meet. And uh, we'll just continue on through these summer dates, and and uh, we'll see how it all shakes out. But a nice opening weekend. I saw you were you were following along and watching. I know a lot of folks were out there wagering and, and watching, and we appreciate that. And we're just hoping to bring more and more of that coverage to everybody. So let's talk about some of the specifics Where, What is the, the racing schedule like there? When are we going to be running at Pleasanton? And what are your post times? Um, give us some, some of the kind of overall specifics For those of us who maybe didn't know About opening weekend last weekend Or maybe we haven't been playing uh, some of the fairs Yeah, so we'll run the next five weeks uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday We'll run with the first post time at 2.45 Pacific, um, and we'll keep it at that. We, we changed last Saturday just due to the Belmont being run, um, so we adjusted that post time. And if we do adjust any post times moving forward, you'll obviously know, and we'll give you that attention uh, and let you know that notification that happens. I don't foresee that, but the first post time will be 2.45 Pacific. Uh, we hope everyone's playing. We got seven races on Friday. We got a nice card on Saturday with, with nine races and uh, nice little fields, like you said, and we're going to take a look at those races. And I'm just, I'm just excited to be back in the booth, you know, if it, it Everything aside, I'm just excited to be back calling races and and kind of getting that normalcy. That's what I've been excited about. And uh, there's some money to be made. You know, we closed out a pick four on Saturday and paid over $3,600 there with a 35 to one shot. So the money is still to be made here on the fair circuit. And we'll see what happens here coming up in the next five weeks. Yeah, there was a, you know, you and I had a couple conversations just during opening weekend going back and forth too. One thing that's really interesting is, you know, when they come to Pleasanton now, just from a handicapping standpoint, we have so many horses who have been running on the synthetic or on the grass up in Golden Gate for a while that you kind of forget that not all of those horses will really just transfer the form immediately over to the dirt. We think that, that sometimes the horses with a little bit better speed, sometimes we have horses who have dirt form way back when, but but we don't really know if they're going to get back to it. So it definitely adds another element to your handicapping, and that's when you can get some prices to pop up. We saw a horse, you know, last week who was able to just get to the lead and slow things down and go sub 50 and steal a race. And and when you look back, it, it wasn't illogical to think that any horse could get out front and slow things down, but that kind of a race on the synthetic may not have been a wire to wire win. It's just a real fun difference now when you're playing from synthetic back to the dirt. 
Yeah, take a look at the dirt form that some of these horses have run and also the form that they've run at Pleasanton. I just think that those horses really adapt to the surface um, back on the main track and back on the dirt. 162 years of racing, by the way, in Pleasanton, which is just mind-blowing. But, uh, yeah, I, I think front to stock is a nice position to be in. I, I'm not necessarily saying you can't come from the clouds and just mow them all down because I think you can. Uh, I think it's playing fair. And yeah. we'll see what happens here throughout the, the course of the uh, the meet, but you know, the fractions will tell you, you know, if you're going 50, 51 for a half, you know, it, it may be different over a synthetic versus a, a dirt, a dirt surface. So uh, it's something to keep an eye on, something to keep track of and something maybe to jump on and pounce on early on in the meet, especially uh, because you might have a handicapping edge because of that. One thing, one thing I think that's become your calling card in particular as a track announcer and, and for some of the places that you work at, you try very hard to get involved with social media, try to get some of the local connections involved with little videos, just information, tidbits, um, something that you were doing quite a bit at Sam Houston and that you've been following along with so far over um, at, up at Pleasanton. So tell us a little bit about some of the things that we've been seeing from you um, on social media, on some of your videos, stuff like that. Let us know where we can follow you, and then we'll get into uh, handicapping and give out a couple picks for the weekend. Yeah, it's really important because we can't welcome fans, spectators, just on a normal basis like we normally would do. Uh, for me, I feel like it's a responsibility that we can bring as much coverage as possible. And I think we need to talk to those horsemen and those connections and try and get those videos. We have to do it safely. We have to conduct it at a safe distance. And if you see me point out that we are at a safe distance, I want to just make sure that people understand that. But uh, the coverage that we're bringing, you know, it's just getting out there and putting in the effort and getting it done. And we hope that it reflects uh, well on our product. And so when I go out there and I shoot some videos and try and edit and you're seeing a lot of different track announcers and a lot of folks that work in horse racing in the industry uh, start to do that more it's just important for us to to be able to bring that coverage as best we can uh, to the people that enjoy the sport and enjoy betting on the sport as well and uh, you know i threw out a couple videos uh i believe it was on sunday and the three horses that i had shown videos of had all come back in one race and so yep. now all of a sudden, little karma Yep. You know, maybe they all of a sudden want me to check out their horse. But, you know, <laughs> just to get a video shot of a horse in its stall that's getting ready to run that weekend, uh, it just brings a, a different light on the product as far as just a name and the program or the form. You know, it it, it, it it personalizes it with you and you say, you know, I have a connection to this horse and let me take a look at that one. And darn quick, I've got a video coming out with his owner, Cliff Plum, who had uh, bred the horse and uh, just means a lot to him. And I'll throw that video out uh, at In the Grandstand is my personal uh, if you want to follow the fairs at AC Fair is the Alameda County Fairs website here in Pleasanton. Obviously, no fair, but they are still running their uh, social media, and you can find them on Facebook as well. And then the California Authority of Racing Fairs CARF uh, will be at CA Racing Fairs on Twitter. So we'll have updates, and we'll bring you some coverage as as best we can. And and I'm welcome to people giving commentary on what they would like to see. You know, if there's something different that we should be doing, uh, if there's something they'd like to see more of, then I'll do my best. And we can, as long as we conduct it safe. Safely, uh, at a good social distance and, and keep everybody okay and safe Then I'm happy to do it Yeah, it's really cool too At a place like the fair um, and, and some of the fairs Because you we just there's a lot of names that we've probably seen For years on paper But because they may not be at a big name circuit Or maybe, they, maybe they're not dealing with graded stakes winning horses We, we don't know the faces We never really hear their, heard their voices We've never really got an opportunity to see them Or really just hear even a little bit of their story Or some of their, the stories of their horses So anytime we can get a little extra coverage I think for some of the people who are really The backbone of this industry The bread and butter who have been doing this for so long A lot of these people up in Northern California it, It's just an added little bonus People love that that extra little story And hey, it's it, it helping handicapping tips too That That's great So uh, yeah. you're, 
you, you heard all the places where you could follow Chris and all the uh, the Northern California Fair stuff. And I always try to do my best to uh, to to tweet and pass some of those th- those things along. We even had a cool little uh, little goodbye message from Juan Hernandez uh, last weekend as he got ready to to head down to Southern California and he's going to move his tack there. So we wish him the best of luck as uh, he's been just an excellent rider over the last few years. Uh, Chris. Let's let's get into it. Let's try to get let's give the folks a, a little bit of, of money. Let's try to pick a few winners sure. for them. So we'll give a, a horse out on Friday, and then I think you said you have a couple horses on on Saturday. So Friday first post two forty five Pacific time, and we have a seven race card on Friday. Where are you going to head for your play? Yeah, so on race number six, I'm going to take a look at Stormy Charmant. You know, Cliff DeLima, uh, the man never ages. You know, he's approaching 90, 90 years old. And I, I asked several people how old Cliff DeLima is, and, and it seems like everybody's got a different answer for how old he is. But uh, <laughs> he's still going strong. He's still got a lot of head in the barn, and, and it just does a really nice job from a, from a training standpoint. And so Stormy Charmant, yes, the horse is one for 16, but there's quite a few horses in here that just have a couple wins on their record. Um, as far as this race is concerned at the $25,000 level, I think this five-year-old Gelwick fits. I think, you know, a bit of a stocking trip, an outside post. And I'm going back to that PLN form. The horse is one here at this race. Mm-hmm. Back, both four at the distance, but one for two of the, the dirt. You just have to remember that this is back at Pleasanton. It's back on the dirt. So I just think a, a, a tactical trip in here, you know, ran on an optional 25 at Fresno. And that was a long time back, but that was a real fast heat behind hardcore Troubadour, who was going real well at that time. Uh, quite a few other competitive runners in that race. So it just fits a little bit better. I will say the three-year-olds scare me a little bit in this spot. You know, Prince to Prince to the outside. Jack Steiner has speed, drops down from those three-year-old optional 50 races down to open 25. Uh, you know, uh, nine to two on the morning line. I could have gone a little bit lower because with that outside tactical speed might go a little bit lower than that. But I think that's the right price in there. So I'll go with the number six, Stormy Charmant. I think you get that three to one. I think you get the right trip with Julian Couton. And, and look for that horse just kind of rolling through the lane. It just seems like Cliff Lima's horse always they kind of settle right off of those leaders and then they close real fast through the lane. So that's who I'll be looking at in there. Stormy Charmant looking to trip out in race number six at Pleasanton on Friday. That's part of the late pick four. I'm going to have a late pick five sequence that I'm going to put out also and go through uh, the bulk of that Friday Pleasanton card. And then on Saturday, going to do the same. We're going to cover a lot of those late races. I think the late pick five starts in race five in what's a nine race card on Saturday. So uh, where are you going to be looking for some spots to play on Saturday? Yeah, so race number six, uh, race number two on Saturday uh, if you look at facts matter in that race, and I, I went two to one on the morning line, but you know, McKenna, Tim McKenna obviously knows what to do with, with some good horses. And he, he claims this one back the horse won easy uh, coming off the shelf. Obviously, you know, whatever that race was that sent the horse to, to a little bit of a layoff there, it just didn't work out. That's only the, really the only bad performance in a while for this horse. Uh, if you look back at the form, this horse won in Pleasanton, then went to Del Mar and then won again then got claimed. It just seems like Tim McKenna knows what he's got here with the number three facts matter. Uh, and if you kind of look through the lines, the horse doesn't always get bet. And that's no. why I went to the two to one morning line, because it just doesn't seem like they send it in on this horse, but this horse always shows up and always performs. Uh, you get a nice post. I think it's a nice trip, really nice comeback race. And I think Tim McKenna could really play the conditions play again. I think he could come back and win this race. And I wouldn't be surprised if you see this horse go right back down to Del Mar and kind of try and repeat what they did last year, uh, last season with a real nice horse that has some speed at the sprint distance. So I'm not giving you a big price in here, but this is just one of my uh, horses that I recognized last year. And I saw the conditions and the way Tim McKenna had placed this horse. 
And I just felt like it was a masterful job from the trainer and the connections. And I think they're going to do it again. Uh, and I think they do it impressively. So I like the number three facts matter there in race number two. And then let me give you a price in race number five. Pure perfection. This goes back to the Pleasanton and back on the dirt angle as well. This horse is three for seven on the dirt, one for two at Pleasanton. That last race, I'm just going to kind of just say that was a comeback effort. The horse gets back on dirt. Now, the horse has to get going. It's going to have to close. And is I'm not sure how far back the horse is going to be. But I feel like with Gomez up, I think she can win at this 6-1 to price. I think it's the right price, the right value. Sits in behind some of those speed types and has won at Pleasanton. I'm willing to take the bet, take the risk on a horse that's won here over this surface uh, versus some horses that are trying it for the first time. So I'll go with the number five, Pure Perfection, to give you a little bit of a price there, six to one, try to get that one home for a double-digit payoff. Completely agree on both of those, too. I thought the fifth race was just a, it looked like a race that any can win, and if it's an all race, you want to go to one of the prices in here. The key to the race is the three inside horses. They all look like they could hook up, and in that case, it's it really sets up nicely for pure perfection. Got the little prep out of the way last time. You get back to the dirt. Plenty of things to like about pure perfection. And then, um, so the way that the wagers work out with facts matter in race number two, the early pick four starts in race one, right? So we could just use that as a single maybe in the early pick four. Yeah, I like Facts Matter a ton. So, I mean, if you're looking for a single, that would be a single because it's a little, little bit of a shorter field. And I just think that uh, knowing what I knew last season about this horse, I just feel like this horse is primed for a big effort over the main track. And I think after this effort, again, I'd be looking for that horse to wheel right back. And, and this is just one of those horses that around this time makes a lot of sense. And, and one of those that just constantly, consistently shows up. And, and like I say, doesn't always take money at the window. So that's where you find a little bit of value, even on a favorite type. And nice familiar voice calling the races up at Pleasanton last week. It was great to hear Chris Griffin back under the mic. Chris will be listening to you 2.45 Pacific time on Friday. And then do you do, you do a little preview before the races uh, at all on uh, on there? Yeah, so I picked a nice spot there in the winter circle, and we do a little handicapping preview. We used to do seminars, and they were uh, an hour, actually, is what we had slotted for the, the, the seminars during the fair. But we always had new betters, new people that came and, and wanted to check things out. So we would educate the public a little bit on what wagering is and what the races were, and then we would always give out prizes at the end. So we're obviously doing things a little bit different. Uh, I'll do that about 45 minutes before first post, and then 30 minutes, obviously, is when we'll get the changes. But I'll do about 10 minutes, and we'll just do it from the winter circle there in Pleasanton, uh, go through the card, handicap it a little bit, try and give out some selections. And then I'm also trying to work on, and I'm doing this on the fly. I'm trying to get some of the prizes together to where we can still do some prizes, maybe via social media and, uh, something to throw out to your listeners too. If I can get you guys some prizes, I'd love to throw some prizes your way to give out to your listeners as well. So, uh, it's just a way to incorporate the audience and get them involved because we know how important the betters are, how important the betting public is and the fans that just watch us. Uh, because they can't be on site. I just think that that's really important to pay attention to them and to uh, do everything that we can to to still make them feel like they're a part of uh, the Alameda County Fair and Pleasanton and, and, and CARF in our racing season this summer. And give us those plugs one more time. So we're going to follow along on social media. Yeah. So on Facebook, you can follow the Alameda County Fair. You can follow them on Twitter at AC Fair. They're also on Instagram. So you can go to the Alameda County Fair. You go to AlamedaCountyFair.com if you'd like to find out any information of what's going on trackside and the trackside terrace, for example. Uh, for car from CA Racing Fairs, that's CA Racing Fairs at, on Twitter. Uh, there's also a Facebook, uh, Northern California Racing Fairs. You can find that on Facebook and myself, uh, where you'll see a lot of different videos and a lot of coverage. You'll find me at in the grandstand 
uh, Chris Griffin at in the grandstand on Twitter. That's where I'm at uh, as far as my social. And so hopefully everybody watches, follows, and uh, we'll communicate back and forth. And like, like always, man, it's just great to talk to you. And I appreciate the coverage. Chris Griffin, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, you heard how to uh, follow along on social media. We'll be playing the races and don't go anywhere, folks. We're going to take a quick break. But when we return from that break, we're going to start to roll through that Friday pick five at Pleasanton. And then we'll even uh, tackle the Saturday late pick five at Pleasanton. So plenty of Pleasanton talk still to come. Don't go anywhere. Big thanks to track announcer Chris Griffin. In a world that is very divisive Many people are one extreme Or the other right now It seems like that's just the way to be We can't really agree on on much I know one thing we can all agree on Everybody likes it When it's smelling good And nobody likes it when it stinks That's why you need to check out Sarah Candle Company C-E-R-A Candle Company At sarahcandles.com C-E-R-A Candles.com Their goal was to create a candle that is 100% natural, clean burning, and of the highest quality that everyone can enjoy. I know the people uh, that are in charge of Sarah Candle Company. I've known them my entire life. Here are some of the reasons why they are the best. They have all natural soy wax They are free from the toxins found in paraffin wax So if you're someone who likes to burn candles a lot These are actually much better for you They're healthier to have out and in and around the house And they are much better than the ones used by other leading brands Who have that, that paraffin wax The all natural soy wax will hold your scent better And it will burn up to 50% longer than that paraffin wax candle 100% lead free cotton wicks Completely natural scents They're made in micro batches Hand poured to ensure the highest quality And they are locally sourced Handcrafted in the USA Over 25 different scents available In 3 different sizes They give you instructions and details How to keep your candle clean How to ensure the perfect burn Make sure you take care of it You trim the wick They have uh, fragrance oils infused with natural essential oils in these candles Best ingredients, quality packaging, affordable prices, longer burning None of those carcinogens or those pollutants that are found in other leading candle brands This was created by people who love candles They started out experimenting, trying to create the perfect candle And now they've blossomed into Sarah Candle Company Promo code G-I-N-O will get you 10% off of your entire purchase A great gift for anyone um, You know, any kind of a holiday And if you're looking to send a a gift to a friend uh, A loved one Check out a a couple of the different scents here From Sarah Candle Company SarahCandles.com Use that promo code G-I-N-O Get you 10% off your purchase Thank you to Chris for hanging out with us Talking a little Pleasanton Let's get into some of my plays for Pleasanton Friday Uh, Get your past performances out We're going to go to the third race Which will be the pick five there uh, At Pleasanton And I'm going to play the 50 cent pick five And I'm going to use the one, two, and six to start I like praise loudly the most He was four wide into the turn Then he was three deep down the back stretch He was four deep of five Just really, really wide last time out He drops, he cuts back He's got speed, but he can pass horses That's my top play there The number two, uh, praise loudly We'll use with the one and the Six in race number four, second leg of the sequence. We'll just go too deep there. Patente Alba is going to be able to sit much closer. He was a step slow in a five furlong turf sprint, and he really had no shot chasing Lone Speed last time out. Rush is is going to be the one to beat. He was down on the inside. He got the second early, and he came on again late. It was a, it was a fine effort, and I think the race sets up pretty well for him. In race number five, we will use the one, two, four, and five. Princess Ashlyn, who's the speed, faded 
uh, versus better. I, I like Jupiter S a little bit here. Second off, back to the dirt. This horse flew early, had some pressure on the inside. I think maybe it has the opportunity to sit just off Princess Ashlyn. The 4 and the 5 will also be on the tickets. Bezzy and Impressive Cat. I think they're both pretty logical on, uh, with the class relief here. 2, 3, 5, and 6 we'll use in race number 6 at Pleasanton. The 2, Emerald Magic, who had a tough start. Legitimate trouble two starts back. And, and I think was just facing better the last couple. You could toss out the grass race too. Sunny Ride, who is lightly raced with some upside. And if you just put a line through the Maiden against the, the Maiden Specials, that was just a little bit too tough. You know, nothing wrong with that last effort. It, it, there was a, it was a sneaky trouble trip last time out. And this dam was a horse who's won multiple times on the dirt and his stakes placed. We close things out in race number seven with the one Rocky Roses. This one looks like the lone speed to me and a single. So the pick five will be one, two, six with two, four with one, two, four, five with two, three, five, six with one a $48 ticket. Horses that we like. The two praise loudly in race number three. In the fourth, the two Potente Alba. In the fifth, the two Jupiter S. In the sixth, the three Sunny Ride. Good luck on Friday over at Pleasanton. Couple plays for you at Churchill Downs for Friday. Just two plays for Friday at Churchill. Um, it'll be in races four and race five. So let's go to the fourth race. It's going to be the seven Majorette. I think this is a horse you can key in on in some of your early exotics and make a win wager if you get like seven to two. She was bumped on both sides to the start. She was last. She was about 10 off, and she made a big late rally. Any improvement at all, just a small step forward would win this race. She feels like she can run all day. That's the seven majorette. Make sure to use in all exotics play if you get seven to two. In race number five, give a look to the ten, Shaka. I don't love the outside draw, obviously, but this one is just bred so well for the grass. The siblings are a combined 10 for 62 on the grass. And just a quick look. You see Smart Strike on the top. You see Pulpit on the damn side. I think Shaka is a horse who you want to throw in some of your exotics and who could spice things up. Anything around 10 to 1 worthy of a win wager there. Just a couple Churchill plays for Friday, but we're going to move on to Churchill Saturday, and we're going to talk about the stakes races for Churchill Saturday with Scott Shapiro. So here we go with Saturday stakes races at Churchill with Scott Shapiro. We are getting to the closing weekend of what's been a really strong meet over at Churchill Downs. Uh, I know one gentleman who will be sad to see it end, but we're going to be able to look back on this meet as one that was a little bit different in the time uh, of the world and, and everything. And, and Scott Shapiro, good friend of the show, someone that we talk to all the time with the, the big races. And we've been uh, going to, to to speak with on the big races at Churchill. This was a really good meet for Churchill Downs. And it's going to end with a bang with some big races this weekend. Yeah, buddy. Uh, hard to believe it's uh, over. Good to be back on the on the podcast, of course. And hard to believe uh, it's over after kind of the preparations is one of the First track, there was a couple tracks still going, but the first one to come back, uh, go through the protocols and whatnot, and then uh, we had a crazy first couple weeks with uh, the New York jockeys, a lot of New York horses, and uh, just absolute monster fields, and it's been strong throughout, and like you said, we're, we're closing it out strong. We have some star power as part of the uh, Saturday card, and then Sunday uh, we will have a mandatory payout in the single six, but uh, yeah, I'll be sad to see it go. But I got a little vacation time coming up to do nothing, so so, I'm, so uh, where do you? Yeah, so what happens for you um, following following Churchill ending? 
Yeah, so I will uh, have a week off, and then uh, we'll we'll. It's it's almost certain we're still figuring things out, but it's almost certain that I'll be uh, all in on Saratoga uh, from there. And uh, yeah, so we'll be we'll be working on that, and that'll be kind of my new Churchill and one of my favorite places. So looking forward to that. And then there's that one Keeneland Belmont week after I get back from uh, taking some time off. So plenty of horse racing to come and then leads us into the uh, Kentucky Derby somehow. Awesome. And we'll be talking some Saratoga with you then. Yeah. It's a, a different schedule. It's, it's a different year, but Hey, you know, and, and I know um, once we get closer to football season, we'll keep our fingers crossed because we, with all these team sports, we're just assuming and when they say they're going to come back and everything, that everything's going to go well. So we hope as fans that um, everything with the virus can, you know, be, you know, positive. We're, we're always worrying about health and stuff, but you know, baseball made the, uh, the deal. Now they'll be coming back soon. Basketball is going to be back. So two big sports will be back at the end of July. And then about a month after that, we'll have uh, hopefully football back. So, you know, hopefully in the next few months, we'll have a, a lot more to talk about too. And it's a one, it's a good thing for, for guys like us that we are, um, so in into horse racing because over the last couple months horse racing really w- was able to take a big you know chunk of my show that normally talks about so many different things. I was just talking racetrack, racetrack, you know all sorts of different tracks, and um, it, we we really needed it as far as like content and, and having something for the people to to kind of like latch onto, right? And, and when things aren't going well in the world, sports give us that that little bit of an escape. Yeah, definitely, and uh, yeah, thank thankful to racing both from the beginning, uh, Gulfstream and Oakland, able to hang on through through it all at the very beginning with their with their strict protocols, and then uh, for me, the, the last five weeks have flown by. You know, a lot of tension, a lot of issues, but luckily to be able to kind of have something to, to 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 focus on made it a little bit easier, and we'll see how it goes, man. I mean, the you know, you know, I'm a big golf guy, and following that and. That seems to be the sport that's most likely to be able to continue, yet yep. they're struggling. And with, they still didn't, yeah. Yeah, they were able to get through, and it looks like the Travelers, but it's going to be tough, and it's all going to come down to uh, you know what the public perception is, and, and hopefully no athletes get seriously ill at all. But uh, we'll keep our fingers crossed because it's, it's football. Yeah, it's fluid. It's a fluid situation, and we'll be just we'll just be reporting on it and and you know monitoring everything. Like with baseball, we had no idea what was going to happen until you know like it was changing every single day, every single hour. At least it seems like they're gonna they're gonna give it a go. So yeah, we'll we'll keep our fingers crossed. As long as, I think their situations, if if it doesn't work in situations like that with pro sports, where they're going to be tested and taken every single precaution and like money is no object and if it doesn't work in those situations then we as a general public have to really take a uh, you know take a a step back and say okay look they they're able to do every single thing that we in in you know in society probably can't even do so this is kind of a good idea and kind of a good test for us to really see because none of us really know what's been going on man this has been this has been crazy i know uh um we uh we're just kind of all, all all sitting and waiting as as things change day to day. So um, we can go on and on for for hours talking about what ifs and and what could happen. Let's get into the horse racing. Why the people are going to be listening. So we're going to talk about races uh, eight through eleven on Saturday's Churchill Card, which are all stakes races. Very very nice races. Um, also, uh, but the, you guys do have a pick five that starts the race before, and that's got a guarantee. I think too, right? Yeah, two hundred fifty thousand dollar guaranteed late pick five. It starts in race seven. Then it's the four stakes races after that. There's also a uh, cross country pick five. 
that has the two stakes at Belmont. Not sure if you'll be talking about them one of the other days, just the game and the True North, mm-hmm. as well as the Ohio Derby, and then the two biggest of the stakes races, uh, the Fleur de Lee and the Stephen Foster. So lots of great opportunities uh, if you have opinions. Yeah. So you know, from a gambling and a wagering standpoint, I always get more involved in the pick fives than I do in the pick fours. So if you're someone out there playing, we'll probably mention the the seventh race at Churchill um, later as a, as a, hor- a race to use and maybe play. But I'd always recommend getting involved in that pick uh, in that pick five. It just gives you a little more bang for your buck. Uh, okay, Scott, let's get into race number eight. We've got some two-year-olds here, two-year-olds uh, in stakes company, two-year-olds in stakes company going six furlongs, and early on in the year, we you know we just have a field, um, all of, of horses with one career start, and the, the one I guess we'll have to start with who was very impressive, and he earned a very big figure, it's Casadero for Steve Asmussen. And I uh, I will tell you again I cheated a little bit again I, I heard some of your uh, podcast <laughs> with uh, with horse racing KK a little earlier and um, and was listening to some of you what you guys were, were talking about this was one of those real buzzy races that Casadero came out of there were you know three or four horses that definitely were taking you know were taking money were kind of steam horses the horse who we actually battled with a little bit early was the favorite and that horse looked really good on paper took a ton of money and he just put him away and drew off. Yeah, that was Nick's front, one of two mm-hmm. Brad Cox horses mm-hmm. in there, and definitely was a buzz horse. I know one of my colleagues got a big push on him. Uh, there was a Wesley Ward. There was another Brad Cox drawn to the rail, and there was a Dane Kabisky that all somehow took more money than this horse, who is a very well-bred animal. The damn wild gams has been productive, almost famous, one of, I think, the most uh, well-known progeny of this uh, damn wild gams, but... Didn't take a lot of money, but looked like uh, the best bred horse in here and ran like it. Um, and now moves to the outside post here in a seven horse field. And, you know, you got to you got to be you know, these are very difficult races. Obviously, Casadero got the biggest number, but a lot of these horses had very little trouble. And most of them saw or a good chunk of them got perfect trips or either were on the front end or the outside stalking variety. So it'll be interesting to see with if which of them. Uh, has to deal with a little bit more adversity in here, but very hard for me to, uh, on paper and visually, get past Casadero as a must-use in here. And, uh, you know, not ideal because the price will uh, reflect his chances probably, but uh, definitely a horse that I would have to make the most likely winner. Yeah, I mean, that's what makes this race really difficult is, it, I mean, we were playing the off these horses who have just one race. They were all pretty impressive in winning. Um, it was funny. I think the one who like visually was probably the least impressive is one that I'm even a little bit interested in is the Pletcher Hyper Focus, who may be even a little better as these distances go longer. I don't think he really wanted to win going four and a half that day, and they just he just kind of was was persevered with all the way, like hard ridden throughout, and he ended up getting by. Um, herd immunity came from off the pace a little bit, which. I kind of like to see at this at this case because you know a lot of these horses that win going short are ones that just kind of pop the gate and go on with it. So when a horse can come from off a little, I, I like to see that he he was able to pass horses after a slow start. That's good. And then I even heard you mention you know like the horse down on the inside from Mountaineer who absolutely crushed. I mean, count, yeah. crowning Coke. You watch this race. This horse got out of the gate. He was actually seven to two, and he just annihilated a field. And we see horses win. First time out or early on at small tracks And this is when horses like this can win early Right? They might not be able to go on and win a a race going really long Or win the derby or something like that But they can win some of these early races against horses That maybe are more talented If if this horse for some reason is just a little more precocious So 
Yeah, I mean it, it's it's a, it's a tough race because you can't really you can't knock Casadero for any reason. You know the gamblers in us want to play against him, but and we're looking to play other horses who were all impressive, but they were just not nearly as impressive as Casadero. Definitely, and then one horse to definitely mention is uh, a horse that I'll pick for second here. That's number three, Gatsby, who uh, mm-hmm. Golden Pal, the horse that he um, stalked off of in the debut effort. Um, Came back to run second in a very tough beat uh, on the turf in the Norfolk at Royal Ascot. So uh, certainly legitimized that race for Gatsby. These connections, Arendelle, Juan Alvarado, very good at getting horses ready. Now you never know how form like that's going to transfer from Florida, from Gulfstream Park to Churchill. The horse has been off um, since April 17th, so that's a long period of time. Looks like pretty steady works, but uh, after the race, once they got him back going, but maybe ran too big, you never know. But I uh, just thought he was worth mentioning. But it's interesting yeah. with herd immunity. They only spent twenty five grand for a Union Rags, and this Which, horse, yeah, and you know he was three to five. He was supposed to win, and he did so in a slow time. So it's interesting. Peter Miller ships him in. He's got some horses here, but uh, kind of surprised here. I think he looks a little overmatched but uh like you said the fact that he relaxed was pretty encouraging yeah gatsby is a, is a great mansion i think he might be if yeah like if casadero was in this race or maybe he has a he gets a step slow or maybe that figure was a little you know overinflated whatever it was like gatsby to me looks like the other horse like the next horse here what I, I really liked um how he showed kind of like multiple gears which you don't really see early because he was like asked yep. for speed early on. And then he got crossed over on by that horse that you mentioned, the really nice Golden Pal. And it looked like Golden Pal was going to just go on and win or win with that. And then you saw Gatsby kind of angle out, come around and like re-engage. And it was, you, you just don't see horses this early on kind of have push buttons or like be able to get asked multiple times, which I like. I, I think there's some, there's some real ability there. So, I mean, he's a horse who, who took down a, a big favorite in his debut Maybe he can do the same here again With Casadero in this race it, Just trying to figure out how I'm going to like formulate The pick fours and pick fives moving forward With this it, what, what makes this sequence difficult is I think the next race um, At least for me the the ninth The Fleur de Lis Because the betters in here We look at this race And um, I think you you have to come down to the major two I, I really couldn't find anyone Outside of Serengeti Empress and Midnight Bisu In here as as someone who's been a Midnight Bisou fan, I love her. I think she's the, by far the most talented in this field. But Serengeti Empress is able to win races like this where there's not a lot of speed on paper. So that's what makes it difficult. As a gambler, you don't want to double up and use both of these two when they're going to be your A's and your, your B, and they're they're going to be way shorter than the rest of this field. So the gambling approach in this race is is just, you know, you got to pick one or the two. So I just have a hard time when the horse that I really like is is not the horse that might get the, the shape of the race. That that's what feels difficult for me in this one. I totally understand where you're coming from with that. It makes a lot of sense. I just think that Midnight Bizu is a different different level yeah. than uh than yeah. Serengeti Empress. And I guess you could point to some races. Serengeti Empress obviously a need the lead type. When she gets the lead, she's run some really fast races. You can she's only won for her last seven, too. Yeah. You know, she's not like she's not winning a ton, e- even in some of those situations. Yep, and you you know the Breeders' Cup this staff. You look, you can forgive. You know the Houston Ladies Classic. It was a two and a half month layoff. Comes back. I think she's supposed to win that race at three she to is. five. Lady she Apple is. has not come back to be much. Street Band has not come back. You know now you're counting on her beating the best. You know 
I want to say the best female horse in the world. I mean, I agree. That's yeah. what Steve Asmussen, we had him on our show inside Churchill Downs uh, shortly. I guess it was uh, almost two weeks ago now after he uh, broke Dale Roman's record. They've kind of seesawed back and forth for leading trainer at Churchill. But, uh, you know, he, he takes things in stride, but he did he definitely raved about this horse and how great she is, how great she's training. I know a lot of people like to look to the regression, the bounce potential when they go overseas and run a monster race. You know, you can point to Arrogate, you can point to a lot of horses further back than that, Silver Charm. But, um, you know, Midnight Bezu's done such a little wrong. Blue Prize got the jump on her at the Breeders' Cup ta- this staff. If she's a little keen off the bench, maybe it helps her in this spot. Sure, she's never won over the Churchill going, but... I don't know, man. I, I don't want to. I don't want to double up. And yeah, I'm, no, and I'm just not impressed with Serengeti Empress. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't. This is what's funny. She's the type of of filly where I don't think I've ever played her. You know, and you could, and I could. I said like about ten times when I was talking about her before because I was. I just don't know what I'm looking at her going. I've never played this filly. <laughs> you know, but she she looks like she's going to have the advantage. But the thing about Midnight Bisu, as you mentioned, she's one of those that she's gone by. I mean, we we probably thought the same in, in some of those races when she was uh, against the late. You know, uh, a mm-hmm. couple times where it looked like she did, she was up against it from a pace standpoint, mm-hmm. and she just digs in and kind of goes. She just goes by. She really is a little more tactical than she needs to be, and as she's gotten older, she's become just a really, really nice animal overall. So I, I don't, I'm not trying to beat her, and and the more we talk about it, I just I don't think I could single Serengeti Empress over her. That would be the only real way to approach this race, I think, unless you you like someone else. I, I'm I, I don't I don't think you really do. I feel like you're going to be probably singling Midnight Bisu if somebody else is going to. They're not going to use Midnight Beast. They're not going to be Serengeti Empress. Who would it be to use? Well, I mean, I think the next most talented horse is Motion to Motion, but I don't like her at a mile and an eighth. It's really hard for me, Gino. I'd have to see the race would have to go much differently than you expect it to. I, I always have thought go Google yourself is a, is a grade three type animal at mm-hmm. best. She's run well over this course. She should get a good trip under Brian Hernandez. I just... I just can't, you know, as much as I kind of acted like Serengeti Empress isn't a horse I'm in love with, I think she's a better animal than Go Google herself. I probably have to go bombs away with Chocolate Kisses, just hoping that yeah. a four-year-old filly just kind of falls into the, the spot. Yeah, yeah, but she did last time, too, is mm-hmm. the only problem. She did get a perfect trip, but it was Dunbar Road in that race, who I would argue would be the, the second choice in here for sure uh, after Midnight Bizu if she was in here. So I know it looks like it's an ungraded stakes race, but but Dunbar Road is a grade one winner, grade one animal. So I guess it would have to be Chocolate Kisses, yeah, she, but I'm going to chalk it up. Yeah, me too. I think she's the <laughs> she's the horse to use in some underneath and stuff. What I like about her is she feels like she's got some upside, right? She's on the improve. She's a four year old now. She's only making her third start as a four year old. She's kind of she's putting three starts to get uh, two starts together, and and her, her start right before that wasn't too long. So she's really only making her third start of the year. She can continue to step forward, and any progression has her definitely right in after those top two. So if if they you know let's say Serengeti Empress goes quick early and then fades, and Chocolate Kisses and maybe Midnight Peace who come together and maybe Chocolate Kisses can complete the exacta there underneath. But I just yeah I can't see I can't envision a way one of the two I can see Midnight Peace who getting beat if Serengeti Empress runs them off their feet. Maybe she's a little a step slow or she's a little short you know coming back like you said uh, from from being out of the country and coming back. I just can't really envision. Something happening where those two both 
don't end up winning this race. It, it, that's yeah. Yeah, it's unfortunate when that happens. You just got to uh, take what they give you sometimes mm-hmm. and yep. uh, and move on to the next race because I agree, you don't want to double up in this race with those two. You're just, just wasting your bullets. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense from a gambling standpoint. We move into race number 10. Of course, I heard you talk a little bit about, and uh, I- I'm going to make, honestly, my top selection, Scott. I really don't think there's that much speed in here. I'm very high on Pirate's Punch. The game plan has to be to go. I just I was not a fan of that trip last time out. I thought he ran very very well despite the trip. He he was ridden in a way that was like it was very defensive. Mm-hmm. He was not never the aggressor in that spot. He wasn't asked for a little more speed to kind of set the pace. He was always in between. It once endorsed moved up alongside of him. Then he was was started to panic and kind of move and, and moved along. Then it was just not a. I didn't love the ride. I just didn't love his trip. I think putting him on the lead, putting him really close to the lead from the inside will go a long way in this race. His best is not far off of the really good races from the really good horses in here. He just hasn't had that kind of effort against them. But from like a numbers and figures standpoint, he's not far off. No, I agree. And endorse came back and gave uh code of honor all, yep. all he could handle so that uh you know that was a legit race. I know Bankett even ran him. well against Tom's D and wasn't completely like you know, wasn't completely overmatched there. Yep, yep. So um yeah, I mean, first off, from a personal standpoint, Grant Forrester, one of my favorite trainers to to talk to and then that I've got to know here since moving here. Gulliver Racing, uh, Phil Bongiovanni is a uh, California based owner, became friendly with him. So my heart is rooting for these guys, but I, I can see it on paper. It's a little bit difficult thinking that, that he's going to be able to turn away by my standards, then turn away Tom Staton Owendale. Yeah. These are great horses. But when, when horses wire fields out, you know, you sometimes can be surprised if they set slow for actions. And I know they've been pointing to this race for some time. And if you look, at least in terms of Brisnet speed figures, it's kind of an every other horse has run a triple-digit uh, number the last couple. And 101, then a, then a 91, a 102, then a 95. So maybe he's got that 103 or 104 in him. And if so, that puts him right in the mix, especially if loose on the lead and you get the Hall of Famer Mike Smith, who will take his first call on this horse. It feels like this race has... I think a top three to discuss And we'll start with the horse who I mean is Tom's D taught The the best older horse right now Is he the best one of the best horses in training I think he's probably the best older horse In training and he legitimized himself In that Oakland mile it was a wet fast track mm-hmm. um, That short one tur- That short uh, two turn mile uh, Short stretch I never I, I mean I didn't have, like improbable that day and, and I thought improbable ran an incredible race. He came back obviously to run another monster race. Mm-hmm. I never thought Tom's Day Todd was gonna be able to get to him and he mowed him down for fun that day. So um but you know, he's he's run huge races over this racetrack. He's reportedly reportedly, of course, training well. You wanna poke holes in a horse that's gonna be even money four to five, maybe six to five. He's been off for two months since that last race. They 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 met. They thought about running in the blame, which Owendale won, and they opted not to because this was the goal all along. That's one potentially maybe he's not as sharp as others. And then uh, you don't get Joel Rosario who fits this horse like a yep. glove four for four. You get Miguel Maida, no disrespect, but uh, on horses like Tom's Day Ta, you, Joel Rosario is as good as it gets. So. 
Uh, it's very difficult for me not to think he's the most likely winner, and I know it, it's been chalky here so far. But uh, I think maybe you can can make the case in this race to use a couple others. Yeah. So if yeah, I I echo almost everything you're saying about Tom's. Like he he's not a, a favorite. He's one of those favorites. You know, up when you know when he shows up at a short price, it's going to be difficult to beat him. A lot of it because of of his versatility and running style. He used to be a horse that we would think of as more of a speed. Horse it was going to be right on the front or, or steel races sometimes or just really close He's shown the ability To uh, drop back and, and just Adapt to any pace scenario And, and that's that just shows a horse That continues to improve and get better and a great job By uh, by trainer Al Stahl there and, and a really good job as you mentioned by Joel So maybe with, with Mena aboard They don't have quite the chemistry By my standards I didn't really love him last year but he seemed like he's grown into a very nice animal as a four-year-old. It's like he's taken a step forward. He's bigger. He's a little more mature. He just looks better. And what I've noticed with his starts this year now, he breaks so well that he just is able to place himself in the race, sit just a length or two off wherever he wants. It's it's a nice start immediately, and then it's, okay, let's look around and see what everybody else is doing, and, and we'll just kind of... Let ourselves gallop into the race That's what gives him a real advantage in in a lot of his races Yeah, that's the tricky thing with By My Standards Is, you know, do you you give him credit for having perfect trips Over the last couple, the Mm -hmm. last three You probably have to Um, But, you know, is that going to happen every time? And when you take a short price do you, You know, this is his toughest task Other than maybe the Kentucky Derby, obviously, last year But he's gotten perfect trips The last one in Oakland, the Oakland Handicap Was his biggest win ever in a career best in terms of the speed ratings at Brisnet that we use, a 105. Uh, but he ran, the race was, you know, a favorable race flow. Warriors Charge was on the lead. Mr. Freeze was in third, basically. And they ran one, two, three around the track. He got the best of Warriors Charge and did it impressively. Very hard to knock. I do think he might have to take a little bit of a step forward in this race. And I guess my question is, does he have another step forward? And can he get another perfect trip? It looks on paper like he should get the, you know, stalking trip off of Pirate's Punch with maybe Stablemate Silver Dust out there as well stalking. I guess, though, it's one of those situations. He's the second choice. He's probably going to be about 2-1 to one or 5-2. to two. If I'm using Tom's data, do I really want to use him as well? And mm-hmm. the answer for me is from a gambling perspective, I'm going to let him beat me, but I wouldn't be surprised if he did. Yeah, and this is very important A lot of the things we're talking about in this sequence In particular, because we have nice Horses in this sequence, right? Starting out With Casadero, where you gotta kind of pick or choose What are you gonna do with him? And then in, in the second leg, we have Bisu And, and Serengeti, which we, Those are the horses that determine, you know, how you're Going to play that race, and, and probably a lot of the, the rest of the sequence, and in this race There seems like there's a top three That are gonna be, I think, a lot shorter than The rest of the field, and Owendale's The third one, he'll probably be, you know, seven to two or pretty close to that He's a horse who's gotten very good His running style makes it A little more difficult for him to Always be a horse to key in on Because he's going to have to come from out of it But he is super talented And he had a very Nice first start of the year First start at S4 If there's any improvement at all in him That puts him right in top contention in this field yeah, and this is a horse that uh, I really started to think uh, after the Ohio Derby, which is also this weekend, and even in the Preakness, that, all right, this is the kind of horse that maybe you'll put together a three, but he's going to be a really good four-year-old because he's probably mm-hmm. not going to do enough to for them to retire him. You know, he's 
But uh, he had the look of a late bloomer, or he was a late bloomer. He didn't have the look of one. And I really thought in the blame that May 23rd, his first race in six months for Brad Cox, that that was just going to, he was just going to use it to tighten the screws for this race. It was very obvious from way back that they were looking to the Stephen Foster, you know, Brad locally based, and this is a big race and perfect spot. I thought the blame would be, you know, he'd run, maybe run on for third or second and and he really motored home in that race. They went pretty quick, but, you know, it's not like it was a total collapse. So I thought it was extremely impressive. I think maybe the one-turn mile will uh, have him a little bit uh, closer up to the pace. If you look at some of his races at a mile and an eighth and a mile and a quarter last year, he was up a little closer. I kind of think of him as a, you know, a, a, a closer, but he's more just a mid-pack. He could be a mid-pack horse. Mm-hmm. And he draws pretty favorably and has run well over this course. Now, he's a horse that has to take a step forward, maybe two to win this. But I think he can. I think he can I think he can run the career best effort. I think this has been the goal. When you have a trainer like Brad Cox and you have one of it's one of his best horses and he has a goal set, you always want to give credit to him. And if he runs big and wins this race, we're probably not gonna see three or four to one until the Breeders' Cup. So Owendale you know, Tom's Day Tom more likely to win Owendale a better bet to me. Yeah, especially when it comes down to the value because we we don't I don't know how much more Tom's Dietat is going to improve, right? We've probably seen the best of him, and and even if he that and that's no knock on him, he'll just continue to run it and probably stay at this. He's a seven year old now. He's I think he's the best he's ever been right now. But we can see Owendale improving. There's there we can just see it. It makes sense. He's still he just turned four. He's only raced once. This is going to be a distance that should be even more to his liking. He was a little bit up against it last time out. I actually I'm with you. I prefer him. I think I even would give by, I would probably even give by my standards a little more of a look based on the price. If he is five to two, three to one, and Tom's Dietot is four to five, then I, I'd look towards maybe those two and maybe take a swing against Tom in here if I'm going to be playing Bisu in the other race and Casadero because that's what you got to start to look at is how you're going to stack. Your tickets up and and there's nothing wrong With playing a short ticket a few Times if that's how you want to do it or Maybe you, you think that the seventh race which Is the start of the pick five or the race that we're going to talk About next the uh, the last leg of the pick five Is a, a race where you can get a little more value But there's a, a major opp- Major chance that it could go Casadero, Bisu, Tom's D, Tot And we're not looking at a, a, a salty Pick five we're looking at a pick five where we Saw some really really nice animals that Are going to you know that are stars or, or future Stars but the the 11th race, I think at least feels like a race that w- w- will be a spread out race. And as a better, it kind of stinks because everybody's probably going to spread out in this race. So if you catch a price, it may not be as much of a price. Um, I, I like Dominga in here. I think she did have some legitimate trouble last time out. She feels like she's towards the top of this group that have faced each other a few different times in, in some of those races at Fairgrounds and the race at Churchill. And I think with a better trip, she probably ends up being, you know, third in there. I don't think she was ever going to get to the the top two, but she she feels like she's in a good spot to save ground and just hope, you know, hope to get her her opening, hope to get a trip late. Uh, Crystal Cliffs was pretty impressive in her debut for Motion. You can, you know, you can make cases for a lot in here. I think Harvey's little Goyle on the grass for the first time makes sense. If you like Crystal Cliffs, the horse who was right behind her, Widez wasn't bad, and she had let the the. She had a, a little bit more of a trouble trip. It wasn't trouble, but she kind of had to take out and angle around. So, I mean, I can make more cases for price horses in this race than I could in any other race in the sequence. 
I think that's certainly true. I think that you mentioned, though, what you want to think about when you're constructing tickets is if everybody's going to spread in this race, maybe you want to just play more compact tickets mm-hmm. and play them a couple times. Or maybe you just want to live and die with a couple logical horses and and, and cut your budget back and, and play other sequences and play the races themselves or whatever. Because if everybody singles, if everybody plays this race as if it's a spread race, then you're turning, you know, your 12 to ones are going to be more like six to ones. And then yep. your three to ones are more like five to ones. So especially if you land on top, top select uh, horses that are, you know, short on the morning line, which my, I, I could easily make the case for going three deep here. I think I might use a couple more, but I definitely thought crystal cliffs was a deserving morning line favorite. She was awesome. in that Start. Uh, she, she, you know, Vitesse, uh, certainly she got the jump on her, had a little bit of a better voyage, but she's also was shorter on experience and probably has more upside, um, for Graham motion who just five wins on the turf course all over the first few weeks with Johnny V aboard. And then Harvey's little Goyle, who, um, I think might end up being a turf horse. They, they debuted her on the first turf. time on the turf coming back to the turf. She debuted on yep. the grass. Yeah. She's yep. coming back. She just hasn't run on the, on the grass in a, in a few. Yep, and she was super green that day, mm-hmm. so she ran a little better than looks against the flow. Seducer was a wire-to-wire upset winner in there, and the damn glory ass is, uh, was unraced, but she produced uh, another, the horse's named another, uh, who's also a Bill Mott trainee who won two races, races on the grass, so and American Pharaohs have been just way better on the grass, so uh, maybe they realize this horse is going to win the Kentucky Oaks and they're getting realistic. And then uh, Dominga, you mentioned it. I mean, that, that was the... She ran sixth by three, sharing, went over to Ascot and ran second. She was the champ from the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Philly uh, turf. No shame in losing to her. Abscon got a little bit of a better trip. But, uh, you know, her and past the plate, you can look and say past the plate, who I also give a lot of a look to, but tough draw. And um, she got, you know, she was wide that day while Domingo was on the inside, but she got a clear run. And. You know, you, we've always, it's something you can debate all day, but when, you know, you get caught on the inside, you'd probably rather lose the ground, of course. So, yeah, I, I, I think we see it relatively similar. I think Stunning Sky is a horse that maybe could spring the upset. That yeah, we've cha- I think Michelin. we've chased her a few times, and, and, yeah. she's, and, and she's got ability. She really does. She she just she's got just that really one, that one poor race uh, when she was chasing lone speed that day, and that was a pretty good race. And the the here comes the bride on February the twenty ninth. That wasn't a bad group that she was facing. Other than that, she's she's been pretty good. She's a little sneaky, and if she's even shorter, you know, even if she, anything above ten to one would would feel right yeah. with her in here. Yeah, and I mean Tyler, we, you know, we t- you t- we talked at the beginning about the the meet and and being, you know, coming to an end and if there's one or other than the pandemic, if there's one thing I'm going to remember this meet by, it is it's going to be the time where I realized I think Tyler Gaffleon might be as good as anybody in the country. Mm-hmm. Uh he, I always had a lot of respect for on, him. on all on the front end coming from all, both surfaces he, doing just showing like a showing a little bit of everything in his repertoire. Yep. Yeah, you know, he kind of, in, in some ways, you know, when I was in California, I thought Flavian Pratt always had his horses in the right spot, and this, and I think he's he's awesome, but the one thing I'll say with Tyler is he's even more, he's like, a, he's a, I'm trying to think of the right word, he's a tiger, I think tiger, he, he's, a, he's willing to get a little bit aggressive in there mm-hmm. and, and mix it up, I, there's guys that are obviously as good. You got Rod Ortiz Jr. is probably the best rider. You got Joel who can be hit or miss, but when he's on his game. But but I 
I'd have no problem riding Tyler uh, on my horse in the biggest of races. He he's excellent, and anytime you can get him, especially uh, you know in a turf race where obviously the riding, uh, you know, this could be a jockey's race, and you're going to get a price. It's definitely something you want to consider. So just from a pace standpoint in this last race, it doesn't. When I see a, a big field like this, and, and there do look like there are a few on paper, I always assume there will be at least a couple that that are. Keeping it honest up front, we think in good spirits. Probably mm-hmm. Eve of War, and maybe even a horse like His Glory showing the way. So I can't really see any of these horses that maybe a bigger price is getting brave. I would feel more likely to play the the either the stalkers or the closers if I'm looking for a bomb. Yeah, I think I don't see it being chaotic, but you know, in good spirits, paved the way last time off the bench. I guess you could make the case that maybe she needed the race to get back to her best, but she had things her way that day. And Eve of War broke from the far outside and generally shows speed, but uh, broke out from the far outside and was kind of headstrong and was wide in the first turn and never really got prominently placed. And I guess maybe if you're uh, Chris Landeros on Vitez, you. You kind of tried to come from behind Crystal Cliffs last time. Didn't work. You know, you're, you're probably a little bit lesser. You probably want to think about, if possible, getting the jump on her. Um, easier said than done from an outside post, but I wouldn't be surprised if he's aggressive and in a stalking position, and you said he's glor- his glory who really cannot win this race probably without being very prominent. So should be honest enough. I doubt it's just a total collapse. And uh, we'll see how the turf course plays. It's going to be warm here. It could play a little bit cl- better towards front end types, but it should just be like a normal, honest pace. I, I would agree. I like the animal Hendy Woods. I just I wish she wasn't drawn and way out there. And I, if she had like a, a race under her belt before this, so maybe keep an eye on her moving forward. If she shows up in a in a different spot, this is going to be a real tough task though for her from way out there. So yeah, I may play one ticket where I may I single Dominga. And maybe get a little separation in, in a, from a middle-priced horse there, and I can play the thing a few times with, um, you know, with Visu, with um, and, and hopefully with with Pirates Punch and uh, one or two others in there. And th- that's the real key race for us because we, we like a horse Pirates Punch who we think has some ability and has the opportunity. But I, you hit the nail on the head with it. He can win, and going on the front end, you're able to stretch it out. But beating all three of those pretty quality animals, Tom's Detot, By My Standards, and Owendale, he would would definitely jump him up to the top tier of older horses. That would be a really big win for a horse who he still might be on the upswing too. Yeah, no doubt about it. And I think you made a good point. You know, this would be a nice time if you if you're if you're not afraid. You know, you don't want to be afraid to lose as a gambler in these mm. sequences. You know, instead of singling the, you know, you single Midnight Bizu and then maybe you play one ticket singling a horse in the in the regret and then maybe single Pirates Punch uh, and play, you know, a couple compact tickets. And if one of your prices win, hopefully you, you surround it enough to make it well worth it because beating one of them, if, you, if Midnight Bizu wins and either by my standards or uh, Tom's Data wins and Casadero wins, you know, even if you hit it, you're not even going to, you know, you might get McDonald's for yourself. Yeah, the, the all burger and the last isn't even going to really help you. You know, right. it, it really wouldn't because every there will be enough people that are having that same approach. So right. you have to try to zig at least in one or two spots where you feel everyone is going to zag and have a little bit of a contrarian opinion. Or just if you think it's going to be short, just pound the, pound the short opinion that you have. Well, that's one thing I, I, you know, some guys that are very sharp betters talk about play. If you're playing a pick four, 
You know, the chalk the chalk numbers overpay, especially on big days like and, this. Well, especially with fifty and twenty cent increments too. Exactly. Because but you have to play feels, them compact. Yeah. That's it. You, that's the only way it works. You can't pl- even even like a three by three by two by you know that, that starts hurting yeah. you. It's gotta be yep. single, two, single, one, you know what I mean? And that's it. One by two by one by one, and then repeat, repeat, repeat. repeat. Right. Yeah. You you gotta you gotta be willing to get beat by it. You know. Oh, one of my. You know. You gotta play compact to take advantage of the fact that it overpays because overpaying is still. You know, it's not what you're used to when you're trying to hit big tickets. But if you hit it enough times on a short budget each time, it, it will be well worth your while. If you are a fan of Scott Shapiro, if you're also a fan of uh, Kevin Kirstein, you can hear the two of them discussing this sequence on Scott's podcast, the Who Do You Like podcast, which you can get anywhere you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all the major places. Make sure to go check that out, download, subscribe, rate, and review for Scott. Scott, uh, let's have a nice weekend. Let's do our best. Um, and you know, some weekends it's about making money. Other weekends it's about kind of watching it a little bit more as a fan and kicking back and saying, okay, maybe we don't, we're not going to play as big of a tickets, but we're going to play tickets where we play them a few more times and. We like to see Midnight Beast who We like to see, you know, whether it be Tom's D. Todd or maybe By My Standards Takes a step forward and he's the next star We need some stars in horse racing and it's nice when When we have a weekend where we see a few of them Yep, should be fun We'll get a two-year-old race, the first uh, Real, first graded stakes one that I'm aware of I believe, and then we'll get the uh, The Saratoga ones as well And, and Del Mar, so looking forward to it Gino, always great chatting man And uh, hopefully we can close the, the Churchill Spring meeting out strong Scott Shapiro, thank you very much, buddy Uh, Don't go anywhere, folks We're going to take a quick break We're going to hear from one of our sponsors And we will be right back with much more One of the sponsors of That's What G Said podcast is Cindy Carava, full-service realtor. And I am here over in Glendora at Coldwell Banker with Cindy Carava. Cindy, how was 2019 for you? Tell us uh, a little bit about what uh, what kind of stuff you were working on. Hi, Gino. Thanks for having me. Uh, 2019 was just really great. Uh, I had a great year uh, selling homes all the way from Altadena, Arcadia, Monrovia, out to Upland and Ontario just recently. Um, the market has, has been uh, really good. Um, we're looking forward to 2020 with an increase in home prices about 5.8% this year, opposed to last year where it was a little softer. We saw uh, more like homes averaging about 3.5% in increase in value. Um, it's also looking great for buyers. Uh, the interest rates right now are gonna be staying under 4%. So if you've been on the fence about thinking about buying a home, now is the time to do so with interest rates still staying low. And you offer more services than just the buying, selling, and leasing homes. Tell us about some of the other services that you offer and what a full-service realtor really is. So you're right, Gino. Besides me being uh, a full-service realtor of uh, finding properties for my clients to buy or selling their homes or finding rentals for them, um, I also have a plethora of resources like uh, handyman, contractors, electricians, plumbers. Uh, I even, if like I said, if you're thinking about getting a home loan, I actually work with two great lenders that I can recommend to anybody. And you're all over the internet, social media, websites. Let us know some of the places where we can find you. I know I've seen some reviews on Yelp and on Zillow. Everyone always has positive things to say. Everybody hears me raving about you all the time. But where can uh, everyone else find out information about you or contact? 
Thank you, Gino. Yeah, I am on Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn. Um, and uh, you can contact me on my website, which is www.cindycarava.com, or my email, which is cindyc.realtor at gmail.com. Or feel free to call or text me on my cell phone, which is 626-394-6400. Cindy is awesome. She's one of the kindest and most genuine people I've ever met. I promise you, you will enjoy every minute you interact with her. So thank you very much, Cindy. Uh, Appreciate all of your support from That's What She Said podcast. Thank you, Gino. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you to Scott for coming and hanging out with us, talking some Churchill like always. So if you do end up playing that Churchill pick five, which starts in race number seven, the horses I would look to in there would be, I think Smart Remark is interesting at a price. Just Might would be on all my tickets. Caratory would be on a lot of them and Well Abled. That's who I would use in that uh, first leg of the pick five. In the eighth race, Gatsby, Hyper Focus, Casadero, it would be combinations of, of those three. In the ninth, I think I would actually you know, start to lean towards mid Midnight Bisu on the single between the, the two that we, we spoke about with, with Scott. It's, you know, Serengeti Empress and Midnight Bisu. I'd lean towards Bisu. In the 10th, I'd play one ticket where I'm actually going to, you know, single Pirate's Punch. And and then maybe I could use Serengeti Empress in the other race and just make sure we, we hit this with Pirate's Punch. And then I'll play another ticket where I use Pirate's Punch uh, by my standards and Owendale. I'm, I'm okay playing against Tom's Detot in this spot from just a gambling standpoint. I really have no knocks on Tom. Just in this sequence, you're going to have to take a stand in one of the races uh, against one of the chalks. And then I like Dominga a lot in race number 11. Um, this, this would be a, another one where maybe I'll single up Dominga on one ticket and then hopefully we can get to Dominga and use a, a couple others that we may not love in the races leading up to it. Um, Crystal Cliffs is obviously the one to beat. I will use Stunning Sky on some deeper tickets, and then towards the outside, I could, uh, you know, I could include all of them: Harvey's Little Goyle, uh, Vitez, Past the Plate, Hendy's Woods. If I'm going to go Hendy Woods, I'm going to go a little deeper, which I'll play one going deep, and then one singling Dominga. That's on Saturday over at Churchill. Now let's get you over to Lone Star. Lone Star has a big Saturday card with, for a an NHC contest. So Trey Styles, who knows the Texas racing scene very well, is going to talk uh, the Saturday card with us. We go f- race by race for the Saturday Lone Star card. Kick back and enjoy as we talk races one through nine. Very excited to welcome in a first-time guest here on That's What G Said podcast. A staple on the NHC tournament circuit for quite some time now. Someone who was a fifth place finisher in this past year's NHC, Trey Styles. Trey, how you doing? I'm doing wonderful. I sure appreciate you having me on. Hey, well, thank you very much. I uh, I watched you do uh, some stuff and listened to you a few times over on Sam uh, at Sam Houston when you're talking with Chris Griffin, and um, he had always had some, some you know talked about what a, a sharp handicapper you are and following along with you. I've been uh, I've been able to uh, to see that, and there's a big contest coming up this weekend at Lone Star. So before we get into the specifics and talking about the uh, the card for this Saturday, let's talk about some some generalizations. I always like to to ask. How somebody got into horse racing So tell us your story Is it a family thing What made you become such a big fan of horse racing Yeah mine's kind of mine, You hear this one all the time right I, I, I snuck into the track uh, as, a, as when, Before I was old enough to get in <laughs> Yep but I, 
fly racing back then. And so, but I lived near the Louisiana border. And so I had a buddy who would go visit his dad and come back when we were 14, 15 and tell me, you know, how cool his dad would take him to the track. I guess Hawthorne or I don't know, I don't know what would be going on in the mid eighties up there. But, uh, so he told us how cool it would be. So we, as soon as he got his driver's license, we drove over, we went over there and uh, started going to Delta Downs and, and they really didn't care that much. They wasn't that hard to get in. And uh, just kind of, you know, the hit, hit a couple early that when I didn't know what the heck I was doing, that's probably the worst thing that happened to me. <laughs> Keeps you coming back. Yeah, it just made me real. I just liked it and stuck with it. And and so then how do you transfer over from, from being like an everyday player into playing, you know, heavily into the tournaments and the contest scene like you do? Uh, well, I, yeah, I really do enjoy the contest. I, I can't tell you why. Uh, it's kind of, you know, horse racing is a puzzle, figuring it out in and of itself, and contest is kind of a, a puzzle within a puzzle, a game within a, in the in that game. And I just really have enjoyed doing that. And I, I, I don't know that I, I guess the way I've handicapped has changed as a result of my contest play, and I think it's for the better. Um, I find that I like. Uh, horizontal wagers a lot more than I used to. I used to be more of a vertical vertical wager. I think I'm better at trying to figure out now who's going to win or place as opposed to show or come in fourth if I'm doing a super vector or something. So it's just changed. I don't know if it's better or worse, but it definitely has changed the way I've, I've approached the game. And there's a big uh, contest coming up this weekend at uh, at Lone Star. You actually let me know about this last week because we've been kind of going back and forth a little bit of talking about maybe when we were going to get you on this uh, on the show to talk uh, about a, a racing card. And and this was a perfect weekend. Tell us a little bit about the contest they have out there on Saturday. Well, they it's a thousand dollars. It's free entry fee. I say free, but you got to put a thousand of your own money. Uh, and but yeah, that's all your bankroll. And so. Um, I don't know how much you want me to go into into detail, but they have a, a, an early period where you have to bet that thousand dollar bankroll on something in the first six races, and then in the last three, you have to bet at least half whatever you got left. So um, I, I, th- this is the same format basically last year that I qualified. I, I think I finished third. I don't remember exactly, but I, but I won my NHC spot that sent me on to, to to the fifth place finish that I had this year in Vegas. So I, I, you know, and we don't have a lot of options here in Texas. We don't have a lot of places we can drive to or, or tracks that hold contests. So I really, uh, I enjoy the Lone Star one. It's one of the few I can get to in the day and back and, and, and it's an easy trip. And so I try to make them up there. And what's been fun for me is I uh, got to cover the, just from, you know, a gambling standpoint, I love what Sam Houston was doing with the low takeout. And so I was playing Sam Houston, you know, every day, covering it a lot on on the, the show. And and so a lot of these horses at, at Lone Star Park are very familiar to me from playing uh, through Sam Houston. So it's always nice when you know some of the, the names, the faces, you've seen some of these horses, you've watched their replays, you remember making a few bucks off of them and them helping you out. So um, I'm happy and excited to jump into this Saturday card with you. So those of us who are playing along, make sure to get your past performances out. We're looking at Saturday, June the 27th at Lone Star. I thought this was a card that did have plenty of opportunity to find prices. In in, in most races, I thought there were, you know, a, a, a horse or two at least. And for you, you know, coming from a, someone who's going to be playing in a contest, we're going to be looking, I'd imagine, for a lot more price kind of horses. But it, it is it is a different approach in this contest than it is in just a, a you know, $2, you know, or like the, what the format is, you know, maybe for the NHC. So different approaches. You, you don't necessarily have to completely take shots. Yeah, I mean, basically, I think it's four. They get four spots uh, for, and then another one at a fifth one at a hundred entries. So it's guaranteed four. So let's say they have a hundred people. I think that's about what I spent. So you got to come out 
one out of 20 every 25 that's still that's still a pretty good score you yeah have to come up with good prices to get it done Okay, so let's start with race number one. We're going to get right into it with the five furlong turf sprint. Fifteen thousand claimers, non-winners of three in here. Who are some of the horses that uh, that you look to, or who was something that jumped out at you in this spot? Well, this race, I didn't think there was. This would be one of those chances to catch a big price. I, I mean, there's a couple I guess you can make cases for here, but I really thought there was three horses that stood out, and and one of those three will will be uh, will be what I'm I'm playing on. I thought this three, the three itself, bottle shock. Mm-hmm. I watched the replay on that last race that horse was in, and that thing won for fun. I mean, it wasn't asking go much faster. And, and when I was watching the replay, they, you know, it was four to one when they when they opened the gate, and two to one when they finished the finished the race. So there were some folks in the know there what was happening. That horse looked like it had a lot left. So I'm probably gonna gonna play that three bottle shock in that race. I think of the three that you were talking about who who are probably like the top tier of betting choices in here, Bottle Shock, Get a Load of This, and then the 11, Hawkwood. They'll be probably the three betting choices in here. I completely agree with you. I think Bottle Shock of them has the most upside. Love that effort first time on the turf. I'll mention two price horses for some of the folks out there who are playing uh, in some of the multi-races that I thought might have a shot. The two-speaker van is a little bit interesting trying the grass for the first time because this dam was an eight-time winner on the turf. She was, um, what I like about her too, she was one for five on the dirt and then she tried turf and she immediately won a couple races on the grass and then she tried graded stakes company and what was cool too, you look at the the foals that she's had, she's produced two of them and only one of them tried the turf and that's the only win out of 20, 21 starts that they have so it does seem like there's a, a little turf in this pedigree, I wouldn't be surprised to see the two run a little bit better. Maybe even the six rocked his way with a, a jockey upgrade with Cabrera jumping aboard. But I'm with you. Bottle Shock looks like the one uh, I think that they're all, they're going to have to worry about, especially from a pace standpoint. That's why I would much prefer Bottle Shock. I think either over get a load of this or Hawkwood to uh, just lightly raced upside and more speed here um, in the opener. So we move from race number one to race number two. Five thousand dollar claimers, five and a half furlongs. On the main track, where do you start? Well, this, is, this is another one. And this sounds boring. I, I actually like some prices later, but this is this is another one where I think the top three here are are, are likely to to. It's going to be hard to break, to beat one of those three. And I, I ended up with the uh, with the one Madeline's Wild Max here. Uh, I just uh, to me, there's a lot. There's a lot. Of, I'm not only going five and a half. But there's a lot of speed in here. And I think this is a horse that can maybe sit off of that. And uh, I, I like. A lot of people aren't buyers fans, and I certainly sometimes have problems with with using buyers. But I also, but here, I mean, it's four in a row going up. The horse, I think, under any measure, is is improving with each race, and if that continues, I think that one Madeline's Wild Max will be pretty darn tough. Yep, I I thought the I had three horses that I'm kind of looking at in the top tier because I do think I, I respect Freedom Hill plenty, and that one would be no shock to me. Uh, I actually prefer Madeline's Wild Max though, and I prefer the three. All I do is dream of you. I think even to Freedom Hill, who the three All I Dream of You had a little bit of trouble, got squeezed and got bumped around, and was part of a four wide battle. The price that I'll mention, if someone's looking to, to spice things up, is the five Nim, who I think had a good start, but then was in a really was kind of in a weird spot. The horse from the outside crossed over on him and it shuffled him back a little bit. And he didn't have the best trip, but it was it was sneaky. He he kept coming. He didn't get beat a whole lot. Uh, but I, I, I'm with you. I think the one is yeah. must use in some of the exotics, and 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 maybe maybe uh, the five can uh, can sneak in for some of the folks underneath and spice things up there with uh, with Nim. Let's go to race number three. 
This one for me I, I'm going to need some some help from you here Because I think there were two races on the card That I just didn't I couldn't really find a strong opinion I didn't love This was one of them here So in this 20 non-two uh, claimer Seven furlongs the distance For Phillies and Mayors Three-year-olds in up who, uh, who are you looking to? Well, I tell you When I did that You talked about something about Following that uh, Sam Houston and, and when I did the, the pre-race show with, with Chris, the track announcer there, I, I would every race I'd come through and try to come up with my first pick who I thought was going to win. And I think – so I did that kind of here uh, getting ready for this. And, and I think – I mean, I think the three is probably the most likely winner. Uh, I mean, the, the figures are just – they're just better than everybody else. Been to three different tracks, does well everywhere it goes. Got no reason to believe that horse ain't going to run strong. But I'm, I'm with you. I don't want to take uh, eight to five on, on a race like this. Uh, so there's several I thought could win here. This is where I, I think I may look at a price. That'd be the the one. Our Lizzie Lou. Nice. Not saying it's the most like not not the most likely winner. What drew me here is, uh, and I got to admit, I don't think until this uh, this spring uh, that I ever watched a race at Will Rogers Downs. But not many, not many for me either. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but watching those races there, I mean, when I would watch, it, you couldn't come from behind and win. And this horse did just that. Bros Maiden coming from way out. I mean, from like 10 lengths out and to, to win an easy. And then that last race, uh, even a better speed figure number, even and passed up a bunch of horses that didn't, didn't get on the winner. But I think that could be a sneaky, a sneaky play. I, you know, I don't know. I don't know if that horse is going to win, but I'm, it's going to be in a lot of my bets. I love this play in here. And, and this isn't a race that I didn't, I, I wouldn't have probably got to this horse without a little bit of coaxing from you. But what I like now, it, looking in at her again and again, the seven furlongs feels like it'll be perfect for her too. Where a lot of these other horses in here, I don't know if they really want to go seven furlongs. Maybe they get it's kind of that tough distance if they're battling. If Lightning Bug ends up getting caught up on the front end with Giggles and Smoke right next door, and Passion's pretty quick. I don't know if the six or seven really want to go seven furlongs. This horse, the one with a little bit of a trip from the inside. Could absolutely get the job done And this is, is one of those separators in the contest So our Lizzie Lou is the play And I'm glad you had a little bit of an opinion And we both I think have the opinion of In the first two races I'm much more confident And and I wouldn't talk you Off of playing some of the Shorter priced horses This is the race that feels like it, it might be a better race To take a stab Totally agree I'm with you That's, that's, how, that's how I saw it Yep let's move to race number four here We have uh uh, we have Texas Preds, Phillies, and Mares, Maidens. These are twenty thousand dollar claimers, six furlongs the distance. So now I think we're getting getting into the later part of the car. Like we say we'll, we'll be able to get you know, this race. The seven run on girl is a seven to five morning line favorite. Has them has the speed, but we'll try to go a little bit longer here. This is going to be a, a a pretty short price, but. I don't, I don't think this horse had to win in here. The, the real key is pace wise. Is any going to be anyone going to be able to push her up front? Does she want to go a little bit farther? How do you see this race unfolding? Yeah, this is kind of like the last one. If you if you made me pick a horse to win, I think I'd go with Run On Girl, but a seven to five morning line, and I think that might be about right. Uh, I just I I may play it in the like in exactos or whatnot, but I thought this is another place to take some shots for sure. So I, I I landed on the, probably my best price here is Magical Ice, and I, yep. I may like this race even better than the last race. I mean, this, this horse is not that bad. I mean, well, you and you you mentioned earlier when we started about you know watching Sam Houston and getting to see some of those horses run back here. Well, that's where I kind of fell in love with uh, 
Valdez Jimenez. EVJ can can when he gets good horses, he can run. I know it's much better than that. Those numbers look when you look exactly. at them. I completely agree with you, and that might even build into a price some prices for us this week when people see that that they've been struggling like that. Yeah, I mean, and, and he's got what three wins, or I, I printed my my forms up, some papers up here earlier, but I mean, he's not the three wins to twelve shows. Those are going to that's a good jockey, and those are going to even out. So, and when he's on a good horse, and if this is. I, this horse looks to me to be, I mean, none of these guys really jump out at you. And it looks to me to be as strong as any coming down out of maiden special weights in the claiming race. It's all, it's checking the boxes for me on all the things I like to see. I, I'm definitely going to be playing the four magical ice. And I, and I may take a little flyer or exacta box with the eight granny jewel too. A, a trainer there that uh, I really got to admit, I'm not really familiar with, but when I ran the numbers, uh, you know, only 22 starts in the past five years, but won six of them with a, almost a double ROI. So I, I like Magical Ice a lot. I maybe throw Granny Jewel in there as well. This is a race that hopefully I can make some money on. I'm with you on Magical Ice. This is my she's my top selection here too. Well, a couple couple of real positive things to like that September fourth race is is literally as good of a race as anyone's run in here. Even even on par with the run on girl races because she was facing softer than Magical Ice was was facing. She, you know, the the, the two races at Sam Houston. Are not bad. They're in big fields. She's a little sneaky good there. Uh, I and you get a jockey who's been a boarder and had success on her, as you mentioned, coming back to her. She's going to go second off the the little bit of a break. She had a break from the end of February to June, so she should be a little fitter. It's going to be her second start over this Lone Star racetrack, which you know you get familiar with it now. And there are no monsters in this field. If she's like eight to one or so, I think that's a great price. You know, anything around there. <laughs> I think you'll get eight to one. I really do. I think yeah. you're going to get. Uh, I, I, I'm on, I'm on board. So for her, uh, yeah, magical ice in a race. We're against Run on Girl, who Run on Girl is going to show speed, and, and like you mentioned, probably not one that you're going to completely dismiss in exactas, try supers, but right. on the win end, trying to go a little bit farther, maybe right next door. You have a horse like In Disguise with Cabrera aboard, dropping, who can push Run on Girl early on, and that sets up for magical ice. You mentioned the first time starter too, Granny Jewel. Nobody has to be a monster to beat this group This would be a fine a fine group for a firster To kind of jump up and just be Mediocre and win Totally agree, yeah, that was my thoughts exactly here. Uh, I'm with you Let's get to race number 5 Here, we have uh, optional 25 Claimers, first level allowance, going a mile On the turf course So who uh, who do you start with in this field? I, I Again, I, I like to try to pick who I think Is going to win first and then kind of work from there And I thought this race that I, I couldn't really, we're talking about how the pace in the last race might go. I couldn't really figure out how this is going to go. Who, who's going to grab the lead here? None of these horses really seem to like to do that or do well when they do it. I kind of thought that may, that might work to the benefit of the t- of 10 decorated ace, that maybe that horse is either on or able to save some ground, get over from way outside early if, if or be right off a, a pace. And I thought that that horse was, especially when you get an easy lead, that those numbers and those, that, those times, that, that those, uh, those last four starts, very steady. Any one of those could re- repeat, could win this, and the horse is doing it. So I, I really think 10 uh, decorated days is my, would be my top pick. I think you hit the nail completely on the head in, in looking how we're going to handicap this race is who are we projecting to get the lead? I think the 10's coming out of some of the better races here. I actually have three horses written down as, as my horses to include in exotics. Uh, the three, Quinn Murphy, who I think will come closing. The 10, who you mentioned, decorated ace. The horse who I might end up playing a little bit based on price, and for some of the reasons that you said, is the one, Love on Tides. 
I'm I'm just hoping that they they look around and see that there's not a lot of speed in here. You get the inside draw, and, and you just decide to go or end up sitting in a, in a really good spot. So I went back and watched that last race on June the third at Lone Star. It was a good start. She got hooked a little bit wide going into the turn. She's wide all the way around. What I like is when you look at her recent races. She raced in October, and then she's gone to the bench for a few months. She raced in December, then she's off for a couple months. Races in February, off for a few months. Now she's putting a couple starts together. She could be a little bit more fit. She that speed that she showed last time out, just that tactical speed. If she sits in the same spot and she has a little more fitness, and we go down to some of those races at the end of 2019, um, the Indy races. I think she's yeah. very competitive with this group, and she might be a you know a ten to one shot. So. Piggybacking off of your point on why is just maybe she sits in a great spot. And I like when horses have races to go back on. We can look at some races and say, yeah, if she runs her A game, she could absolutely beat this group. I'm with I, I'll confess I had that horse as one of my uh, one of mine marked for a long shot. The other one being I thought the pro the five frozen Hannah uh, mm-hmm. might be able to same kind of reason. Same kind of maybe yep. up close, maybe you know, right there and able to to pounce on what I think is gonna be a paceless race. Completely agree. Just kind of you're looking for horses who might be just in the right spot and be able to fall fall into it, you know. And because a horse like Quinn Murphy will probably launch from from out of it and come running late and pick up some pieces. And if if they go too quick, you know, she can win. But I'm I'm looking for someone else who maybe ends up getting the jump on her. And we talked about maybe it's the one, maybe it's the ten, maybe it's the five frozen Hannah horses who may be able to trip out in this uh, in this fifth race. Let's get to race number six. This one actually starts your late pick four sequence. We have some babies in here, maiden Phillies, two year olds. So when you are handicapping a race like this, where you know, for me, I'm I'm a big trip handicapper. I love to watch a lot of the replays. I can kind of find things in the trips and maybe in the charts. There's not a whole lot to go off here. We're basically looking at you know some pedigree, some works, and and how these barns are first time out. It, what are some of the things? Are, are those the main things that you're looking at in a first time starter race like this? Yeah, I try to to. I guess I lean towards the train, kind of the trainers and how they do more than mm-hmm. I do pedigrees. I just don't. Maybe I don't. I don't know. I don't know. Can't tell you why that is. But I, I, I mean, some of these. Sometimes when you punch in, you can use like Formulator or whatever your whatever database you use to manipulate the data. You can really get some stats that just really jump out at you with these young horses. And actually, that's what happened to me in this race. I, I thought. The, I think this the two not isn't going to go off at nine to two. I I, I think that'll be your favorite. Um, but I mean, you've got uh, Asmus and it's got two year old first time starters, maiden special weights. He wins about like he normally does, 17%. But at Lone Star, it jumps almost doubles to 32%. And out of a sample of 37 entries over the past five years, so more in a positive ROI. I mean, you see that bullet work, fast time last time here at Lone Star. I just think that that horse isn't going to go off at nine to two. But if, you, if that's who I would pick uh, as my top pick here. Lacey Boss, yeah, th- this was a race that was just difficult for me to really have an opinion. I think I think I would lean towards Lacey Boss. I always like in a field like this when you have a horse like the five who does have some experience. Yeah, didn't show a ton, but you know was eventful. Got bumped around, learned, got an education that day, and maybe she's just a little more fit than some of the other fillies in here who never really been tested in a in a race situation like this. I think you hit the, the nail on the head with Lacey Boss, though. To me, she feels like the one to beat. I'd probably throw the five in, in with some of the exotics, and uh, we'll find out early, because I'd imagine that first click, she'll come out and be a little less than 9-2. to two. I, I totally agree. I think you'll be able to, like, I was going to say that. I think if you look at the board, you're going to know what uh, where, where that one's going. 
Let's get to race number seven at Lone Star. We have uh, three races left to discover on uh, to discuss on the Saturday, June the twenty seventh card, and we're up to five thousand dollar kind of this beaten hybrid uh, claiming condition. They're going to go seven furlongs, fillies and mares, three year olds and up. So you have the one uh, Bad Jerry Candy, who's nine to five on the morning line from the inside. The three Good Night Lovin' going to take some money, five to two. Uh, the the five we need to talk in, is installed at three to month one on the morning line. So some short prices here. Are you looking to one of them, or are you going to go a little outside the box? Well, I like I do like one of them uh, as my top play, but I also have a price that I'm, I'm really interested in. So I'll, I'll start by telling you who I just think if you flat out make me pick a winner, I, I think Badgery Candy is probably probably going to take this one. I, but you know, that last race, so you see a horse that wins a claiming race at twelve and a half. And then they drop him to five. That that would make me wonder if it had been anybody but Broberg. That doesn't bother me at all with him. When I, I, I just was curious on his stats, so I, I punched him in. And, and when he won his last race and drops a 50% claiming tag or more, it, I mean, it, most people don't do that. But he's done it 37 times the past five years at, at a 35% clip. Wow. So, that's a good number. I mean, that's, yeah. That's a big number. And I don't know that there's going to be money there, but I think that's your most likely winner. This is another race where I think. I have a pretty strong feel for a long shot. I, I think the six dust world wonder is just a notch below some of these. And and again, you've got a horse that's getting better with, with every race past several races, uh, improved figures. I think that the distance is going to help out a horse. It's been closing you know, the last time went five and a half. Now it's going seven. Uh, I mean, maybe a notch below some of those top horses you just named, but I think you're going to get a really nice price and it's not much of a, a notch below. I, I really think dust world wonder. I'm a, I'm gonna play that one, and this will be the first race in the contest where we can, where we have to potentially you know, bet half or, or more of our of our balance. And I, I may well strike on this first race and see if I can hit something because I think I like this one better than the next two. I'm gonna go uh, fishing for a big price here as well. So I'm gonna go to the eight high school sweetheart as a, as a horse to play. So let me let me kind of sell you on this one a little bit. This is a filly <laughs> whose last couple starts they don't look very good, right? So June the 1st, slow start, completely misses the break. Then she's sent up the inside, and she's actually traveling really well. She's moving right into contention with the rest of the field. She runs right up on the heels in that spot on the inside. She's got nowhere to go, and she gets up to fourth, and then she tries to move to the inside. I thought it was a a, a pretty, like, sneaky good effort. Then last time out, she might have been held by the assistant starter. It's one of those situations where... They just completely missed the break The field is gone and the, the horse is still kind of standing in the gate So I think you can put a complete line Right through that effort Now we can go back and look The February 24th race at Turf Paradise She's gone to the bench for a few months after that She misses the break I think you can excuse that I'm digging a little bit to excuse But the races at Golden Gate If she runs back to a couple of those efforts She could be really competitive with this group She's going to make her third start at Lone Star now and I think because of those two bad efforts, she's just going to get an inflated price. Nobody's going to look at her as a, a live horse or as a horse to play. She could be a total bust-out long shot. I'm going to throw her in in some of my late exotics, high school sweetheart. I like it. I, I was trying to figure out. I made in my notes. I'd written down like uh, trying to figure out w- what happened from Golden Gate to those. But yeah, you, you kind of explained it a little. I might have to. I, I might. I'm going to take a look at that one as well. Yeah, because I, I just you go back and you have horses who were competitive, and just like you say, you have to ask yourself. What happened 
And yeah. I think in three races, so if we're going back to February 6th, if she that kind of a, an effort is super competitive with this group. And in the three races since, you can actually make some legitimate excuses. That June 1st race really wasn't that bad either. It's sixth, but it was a big field and there was trouble. So if you're a, a race replay watcher or someone who likes the trips, go back and watch that June 1st one. And maybe you'll get a little more enticed into the eight high school sweetheart in race number seven. Let's Man. move. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, we'll be we'll be price fishing in a couple of these races. That's what it's all about, especially in the contest play. Um, Lone Star eighth race, start of the late daily double. We have Texas bred seventy five hundred dollar non winners of two. They're going to go with six furlongs in here. What do you uh, what do you see in this spot? Man, I thought I don't know about you, but I thought this one was hard. I I, I don't really like. I said I like that last race. I might go in on all in on that race because this one I I really I do not have a confident feels. I mean. I, I think it's hard to get past Moro Cool not being the best horse. Uh, the this last two did, did, he, did the like him because he was on the turf. Did I, I don't I can't figure out I can't figure out what's happening here. I don't I don't I just this is a hard one. What, 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 I mean, give me some help. You guys you got this yeah, figured out? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I I'm gonna I think yeah. you're 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 right with Moro Cool being the best horse. To me, it's it's four, five, and six in here, and I think maybe the five if we we can get an opportunity to sneak away. With Broberg and with uh, with Cabrera as this as the one to catch, and yeah. I think if 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 he breaks alertly and is able to get a length on the field, cutting back from seven furlongs to six furlongs, he could be really tough to run down. So that would be my only you know uh, alternative to what you said about Moro Cool. I agreed in that there are other races where you know we've we've got ten or twenty to one shots to take a swing with. This one didn't feel like that race to me. I thought it was it was four five six. I guess the nine. If I was looking for a, a longer shot type horse to use, who took a shot against Tougher last time out, the March race, the March sixth race, even with a little trouble at Sam uh, Sam Houston, was not bad at all. A race no. similar to that would be competitive. So maybe the nine is is the maybe the pricey horse to use in here. Yeah, I, 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 that was the one I had, but there's just. Uh... You know, there could, I'm not saying the price won't come in. Like those first couple races, I really didn't see prices come in end of the day. But this race, there, there may be one comes in. I just I can't get my grasp on it. which one. Yeah, yeah, I don't know which one it is. I, I may just pass on this one. Yep, nothing. I don't love this race um, either. I guess I like the ninth race a, a little bit more. Um, yeah. We we look. You know, the twelve is going to be dropping in class. So you when th- these are horses that are always going to take a ton of money, taking a big drop down in class for a very well known barn, and you get a top rider aboard. So this, these are horses in a contest or even in a that, that are nice. Whether or not this horse is a, a very likely winner, she she is. They're good ones to take a swing against because you'll probably get you know she'll probably end up being eight to five. Yeah, I I don't I don't know. You know what do you think? I think the six. I can't figure out. I think you you have to decide what you're going to do with the six here. Uh, First you know, sir. Yep. I, I just don't either. Either I think you you you're on board and you think that. Uh, you know those connections, Asmussen and, and Elliot, and two hundred thousand dollars sale horse are, are going to get it done. That I, I'm, I kind of think I'm just going to take a stand against it. I, Me too. I wonder. You see a two hundred thousand dollars sale horse coming in first out for twenty thousand, and they don't even take one chance for, for a maiden special weight to see what they've got. And and it's not even like this horse has been awful in the mornings either. So there yeah. has to be some sort of an issue with why they're they're showing up here, and I never see that as a positive. Yeah, I, the, you're right. Though on paper, you look at those times. I mean, a bullet one out of eighty-four, two back, and then a nice uh, run over Louisiana Downs before that. After that, but I mean, I, I ran some stats here. You know, we had some good ones with Asmussen and two-year-olds. We had a three-year-old first-time starters on the turf. 
he only wins 11% of the time, which for him is bad. For everybody else, it's yeah. probably average. But, uh, and at Lone Star, 0 for 7. So this is just not something – I mean, there's too many flags going off for me here. Uh, I think that horse could take a lot of money. So to me, I, if I'm going to try to find a – I mean, if that's true, if the 6 does take some money – then I'm gonna look elsewhere, and I'm, I may end up playing the twelve, even though. Uh, yeah, I know you're right, because because if the six takes the money, and you get a little bit of value on the twelve in this horse, and and w- this is a similar similar situation with the firsters we were talking about earlier with Asmussen, we'll know early with the money if this you know to what they what they think of this horse, and if he if she's a little cold, I think that's even a bad sign. I just. I'm I'm completely against her. If she shows up and wins at at eight to five, seven to five, that's fine. We'll find seven to five, eight to five shots that we like more than a you know a two hundred thousand dollar horse that debuts for twenty. Absolutely, no, I, I'm with you. So when, when I leave six out, I, you know, I think the twelve, and then I think there's some other horses in here you can make arguments for. I think Super Legs, the five, and Julius Temple are two horses that I've. It, it's just going to depend on where I am. This is the last race of the contest, mm-hmm. so you know if I if I, if Last year, I won by going all in on uh, Redditory. And, nice, and, and nice. Who went? Who turned? Yeah, who turned out to be obviously a you know, great uh, horse here here in, in these parts at least. And uh, and uh, yeah, so if I can go all in, uh, if I'm in range, and maybe I'll take the twelve here. But if I'm not, maybe I use some of those those other horses I just mentioned uh, and and throw them in exactly if that's what I need to get where I need to be. Yep, I think you hit a couple of them super legs. I actually have Julia's Temple as my top selection too. That debut race on the grass was good. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. It was yeah. just a really, it was a really good effort. And then it, that was back in it was back in August at at Arlington. So you're off from August to to May. You come over to a new racetrack. You try a group of maiden special weights for a new barn. It was that race is the is the best grass race that any horse in the field has run. Julia's yeah. Julia's Temple at that Arlington race. So. She makes sense, and then for me, the other one that you didn't mention would be um, maybe Scattered Mist, who yeah. is just really quick. And she, what I like to, you know, she obviously has had some physical issues because she's a four-year-old who's only making her fourth start. But it, you know, she's a two hundred thousand dollar purchase that they're dropping in for twenty. But they took a couple shots already, right? They right. figured out that maybe she's not quite that. And the difference is, if she's eight to one versus an Asmussen horse that might be eight to five, the, the dropping in for a horse like that doesn't bother me a lot because price always has to be included in, into these angles, right? Totally agree. I'm with you. The nines, I mean, that would be another one that if I'm really desperate, I may just box those uh, three long shots. Yeah, five, seven, nine, right? or something like that, right? And yeah. and 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 hope you get home because you, you'd have horses that have showed some ability, showed some speed. And um, yeah, I think overall the card, like you said, there are a few races that we don't feel like we want to maybe take take big swings. But there are plenty of racing cards where you go through a card and it's like, eh, there wasn't much here. I thought there were at least three or four opportunities where you could get a double digit horse home in a contest, and that that looks like a nice card to play for a contest. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Uh, and what's kind of scary is, you know, we, you, we, I don't know if other the folks know we we didn't sit around and talk about this. So no. I, I love picks, man. That kind of scares me. Yeah, I know it does. It's a little nervous. It's like, uh oh, so we're either going to be having a good day on Saturday together <laughs> or uh, we'll be having a drink after commiserating uh, about what right. happened, what it, what it could have, should have. But uh, I, I, yeah, it was a lot of fun. I, I hope this is the first of uh, many times we have you back here on That's What G Said. It was a great conversation to have. And let the folks out there know where, uh, where you are on social media if they want to follow along or talk some racing with you. Cool. Uh, uh, Twitter is really the was really it for me. Uh, ride that pony. It was underscores between ride that and pony. Uh, and 
that's that'd be that's really the best way to get me. I think that's how you got me. So that, yep. that that'll work. I'll, I'll be sure to send out some news on how things are going for anybody who's kind of curious, not just about myself certainly, but just you know who who how the contest is going. Everybody wants to know how Lone Star is going. For contest players, I mean, we haven't been able to go anywhere. I mean, we haven't been able to do any live contests. And then if you live in Texas, you can't play online content. I mean, for real money, live money contests with, with wager accounts. So this is it. So I think there might be more interest than there would normally be. There's probably going to be a bunch of people that are concerned about, rightfully so, about, uh, you know, showing up with a bunch of folks around. But uh, I think it could be a lot. At least a lot of folks will be interested to see how it goes. And I'm happy to share that news. Trey Styles is an 18-time consecutive qualifier to the NHC, and he's looking to uh, to get there again this year in a big way with a big contest coming up on Saturday at Lone Star. Trey, thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. I really look forward to uh, following you along. Good luck again on Saturday, and hopefully we can, uh, after you win that contest Saturday, we'll have to uh, touch base again and, uh, and, and come back and brag about it. <laughs> All right. That sounds, that sounds fair. I hope we're doing that. Thanks, thanks a lot, Trey. Really appreciate it. Uh, folks, don't go anywhere. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to hear from one of our sponsors, and we'll be right back on That's What G Said. Thank you, and good luck to Trey in the contest on Saturday. And we'll continue with Saturday racing. We head on over to Belmont. And let's get to race number seven where the graded stakes races begin with the vagrancy handicap. Come Dancing is going to take a lot of money. She's making her return to New York where she's had a, a ton of success. I think she's vulnerable in here. I would go to the one Royal Charlotte. She got the prep race out of the way last time out. I think she has the opportunity to sit second in here from the inside. I I don't have an issue uh, with the distance. I'm just hoping she's able to work out a nice trip. I love the fact that Irad is jumping aboard. She settled in between horses last time out. She moved. But she she had to go down to the inside, and she just couldn't get to the pace setter. I thought it was a good effort. So Royal Charlotte going to be the top selection for me in race number seven. We'll make a win wager, anything around three to one or so. In the eighth race, or you know maybe you're playing pick fours or late pick fives or you know any exotics. I'm I'm going to take uh, a stand in the the seventh and single Royal Charlotte on a, a ticket or two. In the eighth, I will use the logical one, Call Me Love, who has every right to improve in her second start in the in the country for Clement. And, and you know, she was good behind rushing fall. She was she was nice in that field, making up ground late. I will also include the seven, who is probably the controlling speed in here. So Captain Obvious with both of those. The five Valiants, she may not be quite this good, but she did nothing wrong in her first few starts, and then she took a shot last time out in a race that was taken off the grass. I think Valiance has an opportunity in here to make some noise at a price. Let's move to race number nine, which is the True North. There are really only two horses that I think can win this race. I think it's the outside two. They're the chalky two, so you gotta pick one. Are you gonna pick... Uh, Promises Fulfilled who is probably a little bit quicker and should have the early advantage over Frenzy Fire or would you prefer Frenzy Fire now who's going to go second off the bench second time for Kelly Breen has every right to improve a little bit doesn't have to deal with a sloppy race track like he did last time out I'm going to prefer Frenzy Fire in this spot so I'll single the 8 and some of the exotics in the the true north that's who I'm going Frenzy Fire I prefer over Promises Fulfilled of the two chalks and then in the 10th race, I do take a little swing against Newspaper of Record, but I think Uni, you, you probably want to include. I'm 
My top selection here is Regal Glory. I, I really liked this filly last year, and then I thought her effort in her first start at four was very good, chasing Newspaper of Record. I'm assuming that in this spot, Newspaper of Record will probably just have to deal with a little classier speed. She'll have to deal with Valedictorian. She'll have to deal with Got Stormy, who shouldn't be too far out of it, putting a little pressure on Newspaper of Record. I think Bo Recall is going to run a lot better in here. So I'm going to use Bo Recall, Regal Glory, and Uni in race number 10 in the exotics there at Belmont Park on Saturday. Nice little Saturday at Belmont with four graded stakes on tap. The Ohio Derby is going to take place over at Thistle Down on Saturday. It's going to go as race number eight, and we're going to see the two-year-old champ. We're going to see Storm the Court, who he has not really progressed and taken steps forward from two to three in very few horses that, that he was, you know, Facing early on it too Have come back and have run well this year But he didn't run that bad In the San Vicente or in the San Felipe It was just the Arkansas Derby When he he really didn't show up in And that was the race that was a little disappointing Not that he was going to win or beat Nadal But you would have just liked to see him run a little bit better This is a great spot for him He really should have no excuses He should run a lot better Flavian Pratt's going to go into ride And he'll take a lot of money for that reason I think Sprawl is the play. Sprawl, if, if he's anything around like 6-1, to one, that seems a fair price. I have been following this guy for a while, and he's never really been disgraced or overmatched. He's just not been able to put it all together. He His street sense uh, stakes race at Churchill is a little bit better than it looks, and then he wasn't bad fourth behind Necker Island after following that. And then he took a shot in a stakes race going along on the grass at Gulfstream. He wasn't beaten a whole lot, but he just finally seems like he put it all together. That was a big win. Sprawl would be my selection if you're looking to wager on the Ohio Derby over at Thistle Down. Anything around 6-1 to one seems like a good price on Sprawl. Nine races carded on Saturday at Pleasanton, so if you're a pick five player like I am, we're going to get to race number five. I honestly... I thought the fifth race was really difficult, and I'm I'm just going to press all in this field of six. I'm going to buy this pick five. I'm going to try to turn it into a pick four. And in race number six, I'm going to go too deep in here. I'm going to use the two Indian Dancer, very, very logical, and, and the six, Michanelle. I think with the th- a couple other speeds in here, she's going to end up getting a really nice trip sitting just off of it. She's proven herself before on the dirt. Indian Dancer should be on the front end, stretching back out from five and a half furlongs. I think those two will complement each other very well with their running styles. In race number seven, my top selection is the number three, Known, who moved in between horses. He settled in fourth, but he was in tight. He tried to go inside. He stayed inside, and again, things got tight. On June the 5th With a smoother journey He would have been right there And he fits very well in this group I'm going to use him along with the first time starter Live a good life We'll use the 3 and the 6 In race number 7 In race number 8 we'll be going too deep With Breakfast breakfast Ball Who She improved nicely when she went longer Last time out on the grass Let's see if she can do it on the dirt No reason to believe that she can. I think she sits a nice trip in here as she continues to progress. But to me, the the horse to beat is uh, O'Gare, who got caught in between horses, had nowhere to go, and, and had a brutal trip, was right up on heels, was in tight. She was facing a lot better um, in Southern California in, in those ma- open maiden specials. And then when she came up to Golden Gate, 
And this is a great spot for her. So we'll use the two and the five in race number eight. And then to close things out in race number nine, just going to be too deep in here. The eight sunny spot has been facing a lot, lot better, and he should be able to sit very close throughout. The horse to beat, though, is Mad Luther on the outside. He's going to go second off coming out of a productive race, gets back to the dirt for trainer Jonathan Wong. So the eight and the nine to close it out at Pleasanton. Play a little pick five where uh, we'll go all with two six, with three six, with two five, with eight nine. That's your Saturday racing all over the place. Best of luck on Saturday. Now we get into wrestling. It's the old wrestling rewatch, WWF Royal Rumble 1998 with Andrew Champagne and Darren Zocali. It is that time of the week, time for your old wrestling rewatch here on That's What G Said podcast with Andrew Champagne with Darren Zocali. And this week it was Darren's selection, and I think Darren did a good job in selecting a show that for us to watch and follow along, it was kind of easy because we had just discussed Survivor Series 1997, the Montreal Screwjob, and there was only one pay-per-view in between the Montreal Screwjob and the Royal Rumble here So there's a lot of, of things that happened Or that were going on in November That continue to happen through the Royal Rumble Definitely some changes But this is no doubt the rise of Stone Cold Steve Austin So overall, Darren, since this was your show Let's start with you What were some of your big picture thoughts When you rewatched this show? Yeah, so to be honest with you uh, I'll just be out, out and say it I thought this pay-per-view as a whole was was better than it was. Um, you know, looking, remembering it, remembering Stone Cold's moment, and remembering, you know, the Sean Undertaker match and everything with Kane, you know, because of those two matches, the pay-per-view kind of was always held in, in, in a positive light for me. But watching it back, I, I kind of forgot that this pay-per-view was a bit lackluster. Um, some of the booking was questionable, Some of the eliminations of the Rumble were questionable. Some of the decisions in the Rumble were questionable. There were things that even went on in the Sean Undertaker match that were a bit weird. Um, So while it continues to tell the story, and and it does segue nicely into WrestleMania season, um, watching this back, I was a little bit disappointed because I thought I remembered this pay-per-view being better than it actually was. Yeah, it's not that this pay-per-view is bad, and I want to stress that. However, much is made of the fact that with the WWF at this time, there were the big four pay-per-views and then everything else. There's WrestleMania, obviously, and you've got the Rumble, SummerSlam, Survivor Series. Those are the big four. This didn't seem like a big four show. This seemed like a setup show for WrestleMania, and it was. It checked a lot of boxes, it advanced a lot of angles, and it was fine for what it was. The Sean Taker match is very good, Austin gets his moment, and there are some fun stuff elsewhere on the show. But if you're looking for a Royal Rumble where it's big match after big match and boom, 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 this isn't that Rumble. You need to know that when you're coming in. And I agree with Darren in that I remembered this being a big, huge pay-per-view. Tyson up in the skybox, Austin winning the Rumble, Sean and Taker doing their thing. And those things delivered. But make no mistake, this was by no means 
what one would consider anything other than a transition pay-per-view on the road to WrestleMania. Yeah, I think I kind of feel similar. I think I like the show overall maybe a little bit better than than both you guys do, but not much in that I don't really have a whole lot of negatives to say. There's not really any anything like bad on the show. They're just things that could have been done better, especially what we know, you know, hindsight's always 20 moving hindsight always 2020 moving forward um from from the show. So, yeah, and and I guess the one thing I never like and and it's different nowadays because we have two Royal Rumbles. We have the Women's Rumble and the Men's Rumble. I think the Royal Rumble's always got to go on last. It, it's it's just a weird, and I understand why in this particular case they didn't because they had everything to do with the Undertaker with Kane and the casket and the burning and all that, and they didn't want to have to do that. And then the the Royal Rumble, it just the crowd gets so up for the Rumble for the countdown for everything, it just feels like the the life gets a little bit sucked out of of the the arena after the Royal Rumble. And now with two it's a little bit different But I never liked when they would do the rumble And then a main event match afterwards And they did that sometimes That that just kind of rubs me the wrong way Yeah, yeah, I agree with you um, I actually forgot that that's the order That it went in until mm-hmm. I saw it um, But yeah, no, I, I totally agree Now that it's two, obviously you're not going to do Just two back-to-back Royal Rumble So it makes sense um, But yeah, I agree I, I thought it would have been booked better If the Michaels-Taker match came before the Stone Cold thing Granted, you know, obviously the, the pay-per-view ends with the casket going on fire and, you know, oh, my God, did Kane really just kill The Undertaker and, and whatever. And you are left with a pretty cool moment. But this show probably should have ended with the coronation of Austin in the Royal Rumble. For sure, yeah. And if you want to get really creative with it, you could have potentially done the Austin-Tyson meeting on this show, as mm-hmm. opposed to Raw the next night. Like but Tyson Vince, right, like, the, yeah. congratulates the winner of the Rumble type of thing. Right, but Vince wasn't going to do that because the Monday Night Wars were happening and they needed to pop a rating. And to their credit, that that's the storyline that wound up sort of turning the tide in the Monday Night War. So Vince knew what he was doing, but I agree with you guys. Flip-flop the last two matches And that's not a knock on HBK Taker That's a very good match We'll go into depth on that a little bit more once we get there But Austin had to end the show Doing the poses around the ring Drinking beers, fans go home happy That that should have written itself Some positives I thought this was a very good uh, JR show Even King has some good ones Throughout the show Like always he has some swings and misses But he does have some pretty good ones But JR just seems like he was real quick Throughout a lot of the show And I th- I think some of the, the downer Might be from When you look at the Rumble And now remember Bret Hart is gone And Kane's not in the Royal Rumble And And some of the Coming into this Rumble It was one of those Rumbles that was set up Where it's like Austin against everybody else So you have Austin He's obviously a top tier contender But when you take Austin out of it And you look at the rest of the Royal Rumble field there were not many that you thought legitimately could have a chance to win. And and remember, we're talking about The Rock not being a main eventer yet, right? So The Rock who is who who, who lasts, you know, nearly the entire rumble and has a great showing, he's not the main event Rock that we that we know. And so it's it's a, it's a lot different the, it, you, you, I know. Did you guys get that same feel with the Royal Rumble in general before we get into it? That it just didn't feel like there were many with an opportunity to win. Yeah, especially because you know you had you had uh, Foley with the three different characters, so you knew Foley wasn't winning once he started coming out 
you know, in multiple characters. Like you said, looking back on it, you know, The Rock is the last guy left with Austin, but th this was the build of the of The Rock. He wasn't The Rock just yet. Um, Shamrock is in it, but to be honest with you, other than an initial pop, he's kind of an afterthought, and he gets and he even gets eliminated like kind of lackadaisically where you almost don't even see it happen. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, you take a look through this. If you said to me, okay, other than Austin, who are the big guys in it? You know, well, you have Foley, but again, it's the three personalities. And you have the Nation of Domination. After that, there's nothing. I mean... The, the two guys that were hot coming into this show, that if it wasn't Austin, were... Ken Shamrock, and the other one people forget was Owen. Owen and yeah, Owen, he got, he got yeah. kind of screwed completely. Remember, Owen yeah. Owen had a main event match at the end of December for the title on Raw against Shawn Michaels, and he won that match by DQ, and it felt like the crowd was so hot for Owen. It felt like he was one, but Andrew, I don't know, that, that was the, the problem, I think, with this Rumble. I, don't, I didn't mind the Rumble in, in a whole, in that there were some fun moments. We got the Foley stuff, we got Austin there, but... You know, we're looking through and all the way till Austin comes in, which is number 24. There's really nobody in the ring that, that we feel like is going to win this thing. Here's my big problem with the Rumble. And we'll talk more about the specifics of my problem when we get there. But from Rock coming in at number four to Ken Shamrock coming in at number 14. Nobody in the audience cares about anyone getting into the ring. Owen right. got a big, big pop, but he got jumped by Jared and didn't come in until later. The only other pop in that span was for Sable. Yeah. That tells you something about the roster right there. And there were a couple of guys that came in in that range that got ridiculously long runs for yeah. no freaking reason. It's a great reason. point. And oh, we'll, yeah. get to, we'll get to specifics about who when we get there. And if you haven't watched the show in a while, or if you're a wrestling fan that knows the names and knows the stories behind their stints in WWF at the time, you're going to be surprised at some of the lengths of time that some of these people were in the ring for and the roles that they took in the early part of this match, especially things did pick up in the later part of the match, the nation of domination members coming in. That was pretty fun. Austin coming in at 24 to the huge pop was fun. Rock has an underrated showing going from number four to the end, especially given that he had a not short match with Shamrock earlier on in the program. Have to think that was a test for him at some point that he passed. So it's not like there are horrible spots in the rumble, but there are stretches where you're like, okay, where's the pop for the person coming out? Oh, no chance. Yeah. Where's the pop for this person coming up? No chance. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. And if you're booking a rumble, you need to at least every three or four entrants have somebody that can either win or somebody that gets a pop. They had the honky tonk man coming out in the second half of the match. He got no reaction because the camera was elsewhere. They butchered the one legend that they had and they put him in a stretch where guys that were over were coming out. So as Darren mentioned, some questionable booking all the way around, even though they did get what they wanted, Austin gets boosted into the stratosphere, check that box. But the way that they got there, it was sort of a Rocky and Bullwinkle type map where instead of going from point A to point B in a straight line, they went in a whole bunch of random circles. 
And I almost wonder if if the the they were doing this on purpose, kind of like what they would do with Daniel Bryan in Royal Rumbles in years past. Like, hey, this Rumble is about Stone Cold. We don't even want anybody else to to quote unquote get over and to get the, the crowd to get behind them because we're building up Stone Cold as the next guy. That this is what we've seen them try to do a few times. Like, you didn't ever think Shamrock or Owen or any of those others really even had a shot. Vader, who we'll talk about right off the bat because he's over. It just never felt like any of them had an opportunity. It felt like it was kind of rock. And the nation, but in the nation, you didn't really feel like Farouk or anyone. Uh, it was it was Austin in the nation. Didn't really feel like Farouk was going to win. And like we said, Rock's not quite there, so it did just really feel like Austin was going to win this thing. And and it's it's a it's a good ending, and it, and it ends up being you know a, a big part of spearheading Stone Cold. But getting there could have been improved a little bit. Let's let's get into the start of the show. And I love this voice, the guy, the the intro. To be the WWF champion There is no parallel No higher accolade in the sport And then what I liked about this intro too You know it shows Sean and and Taker And this the little The way it was describing different people On the roster From collegiate champions to former gridiron greats And it would show Vader and The Rock and Farouk Second generation superstars With championship pedigree And it showed Jeff Jarrett and Owen Hart And Goldust I thought it was really well done And again one thing that even through the shows That we are disappointed in We don't like as much Or even the bad shows These Video packages are always so well damn done. Yeah, we, we talked about that coming in. That you know, I remember we, when we watched the WCW pay per view, and we said how what they do from a from a packaging standpoint just paled in comparison. But yeah, there, you know, it, it's it's a trend from the you know early to mid nineties on through this. You know, the WWE, their vignettes and their video packaging and their highlights and the way they put things together. You know, it's always tremendous. Uh, this is no exception. Um, you know, we don't get Vince introing the pay-per-views anymore. But that being said, these intros were, were pretty damn cool. And and again, the 1998 Rubble intro, you know, sets the stage for what it's supposed to set the stage for. Uh, and obviously the big story with Michaels and The Undertaker and Austin kind of being a man hunted by the WWE, which... Unfortunately, is a major storyline that's actually missed because it really happens for all of 30 seconds in the Royal Rumble and then it's kind of forgotten about. We'll talk about that later as we go on. One of the cool things about this package is everyone in it looked like a star. If you didn't know anything about the WWF, everyone involved was presented in a way where you're like, okay, that guy could win, that guy could whatever. The booking was not great. But if you this was your first WWF show and you went in completely blind, this did a really nice job of building up a lot of different people at once, including guys like the Godwins and the Headbangers that were just in this match as fodder to get to 30. Now, my favorite line of this entire thing, and it's one that I'm going to try to steal in various aspects of my life, the line is, Embrace the soulless ally known as desperation. That's a great line. It is. It I is. I love that line. It's good. And it makes you're you're right. It makes everybody feel important. And what I like and what we don't see nowadays enough in, in wrestling and whatever organizations, and because there are so many different titles, it makes the title feel damn important watching this. Just feeling like, oh, everybody is 
is going for that belt, right? Tonight it's about Taker and Sean, and then it's about all these other, like they said, these second generation stars or these former major athletes or whatever, up and coming on the rise, rookies on the rise. It was just really well done. I loved the the voice. I loved. I think it was like ninety seven to ninety eight where we saw a lot of these same ones. We heard it, you know, in WrestleMania, um, in uh, WrestleMania thirteen, where they were talking about how. Nobody's happy and and everybody's turning and we're getting attitude now and and this this was good it was a great great setup for the Royal Rumble Jr Jim Ross and Jerry the King Lawler on the call they welcome us to the eleventh Royal Rumble they set up the show Stone Cold is the marked man and we kick things off with Cold Dust with Luna versus Vader. And uh, this is when Goldust is doing the artist formerly known as Goldust. Remember, at Survivor Series '97, he was on that Team USA, and he did nothing in the match—literally nothing. Left Team USA, and that began a feud with Vader. So it's Goldust with Luna versus Vader, and we get a great line from Jr. right off the bat when Goldust is coming out. He's talking about Goldust, and he said his family tree certainly needs trimming, <laughs> which is just yeah. great. And the the one thing that you know you laugh a little at, at the, some of the lines, but knowing what we know about Dustin at this time and where you see Dustin now, he looks horrible, so awful, so bloated, so big, and he's a guy that's in phenomenal shape now. Twenty what twenty two, twenty three years later, it's it's that gimmick where he's wearing these strange outfits. So he's wearing a green and purple singlet with blue hair. Darren, the one thing I forgot about. Coming into this match, Vader was over right here as a babyface. He was hot. I mean, he was. This crowd was really into Vader. Yeah, and and it's unfortunate because this is pretty much the end of a run for Vader. Because after this match, and after the blow off with with Goldust, he kind of goes into a program with Kane, and he really just kind of kind of starts jobbing the people. I think he gets hurt know. with Kane. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's pretty much it for Vader and WWE. But you're 100% right. Uh, he's he's over huge here. Um, you know, watching the match, it kind of felt uncomfortable again watching Dustin with, you know, the outfit and with Luna. And, you know, they showed the, you know, the videos of him coming down dressed as like a oversized baby. And, and a sable. Um, and yeah. Yeah. Like, it's really, really uncomfortable watching that, knowing Everything that was going on with Dustin back then uh, in terms of his personal life. Uh, the match, you know, it, it's all right. I mean, it, it's not horrible and by my standards. Uh, it's okay. I, I thought the finish was cool. The crowd mm-hmm. loved it with Luna on the back of Vader as he does the Vader bomb. And like you said, when he wins the match, the, the, there's a big pop for him uh, when the ref hits three. But, yeah, I mean, my takeaways from the match – Uncomfortable watching Goldust. Match was okay. Cool finish. Sad that this was really kind of the last moment uh, for Vader in WWE before the injury and before he ends up becoming pretty much a jobber. Yeah, my very first note on this match is very simple. Goldust is fat. He's announced announced at 260 pounds. He looks a solid three bills here. And the singlet that he's wearing does him absolutely no favors. It ought to have been accompanied by a neon sign saying, do not adjust your set. It was <laughs> ugly. The crowd pops huge for Vader when he shows up. And that's something that's noted in the first couple of matches. This was a hot crowd. 
the crowd was into the baby faces here. They popped for a lot of things that a lot of more smarter crowds might have said, eh, whatever. The crowd showed up and they wanted to cheer. That was pretty cool. This match wasn't bad. It was a little on the slow side, though. Vader, at this point, was a bit past his physical prime. He could still go. He just wasn't the Vader of the early 90s that could do everything you could possibly ask a big guy to do. And Goldust was Goldust at this point. JR calls Goldust a youngster in this match. And I had to look. At this time, he wasn't even 30. And that stunned me because he was involved in Jim Crockett Promotions and WCW pretty much from when he was 18, 19 years old. He was in that 91 Rumble match with Dusty versus, uh, what, DiBiase and uh, and Virgil? I think that's 91 Rumble, or is it 90 or 91? Yeah, one of those years. Something like that, yeah. And it's just jarring, A, the fact that, wow, this was 22 years ago. Goldust did not look good. Thank goodness he's still with us. And I know we've said that a lot because we've watched a lot of shows late 97, early 98, one of his low points. But to say that he wasn't even 30 at that time, I wouldn't have guessed that. This match wasn't bad. It was a little on the slow side. I dug the finish. Vader doing the Vader bomb with Luna Vachon on top. I miss Marlena for obvious reasons, as I think any one of you can guess. But Luna could do certain things in the ring that Marlena couldn't. Mm -hmm. Luna was incredibly tough. She had no problem taking bumps and working with pretty much anybody. And this was the type of spot where she added legitimate value. Now, it's not a tremendous opener by any means. But if you're sending Vader out to pop the crowd, having a decent match, Vader gets the Vader bomb and a cool finish. You check the box. There's a lot of checking the box going on in this pay-per-view, and we'll go match by match, and we'll probably check a lot of boxes. I think it really shows you how good of a, a damn good of a worker Dustin Rhodes really is, because he's nothing, not even a shell of himself right here. He's in awful shape. We've gone on about it, and he still gets a decent match out here. The psychology in this match is what makes it, I think, pretty good, because it, it, it makes a lot of sense. You get the quick start for Vader. Goldust keeps ducking out. Um... JR mentions that Austin isn't there yet That's a, a story is when Austin's going to arrive uh, Vader knocks Goldust into Luna Outside the ring as Andrew mentioned She takes bumps and she will fly her all, all around And look good doing it uh, They toss Goldust into the steps outside the ring JR says Vader is as good and athletic as, ath- as athletic of a super heavyweight That he's ever seen That's not hyperbole I mean I, he, he's right I mean he's on that short list But what do you call them Andrew a big man that can move. Da-dump. Everybody drink. Lob the softball up. Yeah, that's that's a legit. That's not like, oh, he's the greatest ever. He is on that short list of the best ever, most athletic ever, super heavyweights with some of the things he can do in the ring. Luna distracts Vader, then Goldust takes advantage. Um, they're on the top turnbuckle, and he gives Vader a kiss. A little old school Goldust He's in charge for a few minutes before Vader turns it around He goes for the Vader bomb Luna distracts the ref And then Goldust hits a low blow But then a minute later is when they hit the finish That both of you guys mentioned It's a great one He goes for the Vader bomb Luna climbs up on his back She goes flying When he hits the Vader bomb With her on his back The crowd erupts And it's just a bummer Because you feel like after this Vader is set up for something but but we don't know what because it's going to be Austin with Shawn Michaels. 
I, I wonder if if Sean doesn't get hurt in this match, we we get like a a Sean Vader match with Vader as a babyface on the in between pay per view. But we didn't we didn't end up getting that because Sean couldn't wrestle after this match until until WrestleMania. It just feels like a bummer that it felt like there's more they could have gotten out of this babyface version of Vader here, and they just didn't really have anything for him. They just kind of fed him to Kane, and as Darren mentioned. Then we see him him jobbing around and kind of going through the I'm too old, I'm too fat storyline. Um, so yeah, f- fine start, fun start. Nothing really offensive except for Goldust's outfits. I I, I guess uh, we would say. Um, Stone Cold then enters the building. He's flanked by the Godwins. How about Michael Cole looking young? Huh? <laughs> looking young, looking thin. Maybe a hundred pounds ago. Not even that he's like a big guy, but definitely. Uh, Skinny Michael Cole And then Darren here we go I forgot that there were minis on this show I know you want me And isn't it Isn't it just sad Like Sunny from two years Earlier to now Her face just looks way different She just looks like a little more Worn down a little more tired Like she's just kind of been on the road She doesn't look like that Sunny Who was a little more youthful and exuberant A couple years earlier Drugs are bad, kids. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah, that's that's true. But at the same time, she looks just fine leading LOD out at WrestleMania 14. Yeah, so, this is true. That's true. true. No, you're right. This yeah. this maybe was just a bad night or a bad weekend for her or something. Yeah. You know what it is, honestly, though? I, I, no, I agree with you. Look, it's not the best that Sonny's ever looked. But to be honest with you, I mean, you know, her hair's kind of thrown up. She's wearing, like, this weird ref's outfit. There's not... You know, it's not like she's done up like she normally is. So I'll give her a pass on this, especially because we know what she's about to look like in in two and a half months. Interesting note on this match before I I give it back to you. Meltzer star ratings. The no no four star matches on this match. He gave the Michaels Undertaker match a three and a half stars. And the other match in the card that got three and a half stars was Max Mini Mosaic and Nova versus Battalion El <laughs> wow. Um, yeah. so we got the minis, and you know what? There are some some fun moves here and there, some cool arm drags, some some athletic stuff, and we got some decent uh commentary. JR says that uh, so Sonny's the ref, and he says JR says that Sonny's maintained pretty good control. She does a good job controlling the men in her life. Um, and then the king, you know, he has some swings and misses, but he also has some okay lines here. He says a battalion could be a security guard at a Roach Motel. He yeah. said he saw Max reading a book backstage, Little Women, which I thought was great. That was a good one. Um, then some boring chants. I mean, the, the action is fine, but this just kind of felt out of place whenever they would bring in the the minis back. Um, you know, and then you know they would call this used to be called midget wrestling, and you know they were calling them the minis at this point, and they were trying to push Max Mini. You could tell. Uh, what did K- King said? These guys are in good shape. From running wheels in the hamster cage They flashed at Mike Tyson In the luxury box King says Max Mini could play hockey on an ice cube And JR calls him the world's smallest Athlete at 87 pounds Then we get some blatant cheating from Sonny who uh, she helps Max She picks him up and she like kicks the other Team with him then JR starts talking About how maybe they're an item he heard she Always liked short guys and uh, King says that'll be a short relationship So most of the notes, you know, about the About the commentary in here it Says if Max has a kid, at least he'll have someone to look up to him He had a cool springboard corkscrew Some cool spots outside of the ring Where they went off the ropes But I think, you know, a place filler on the show 
to kill a few minutes and they're trying to get Max over. I just I don't know what the game plan was with this or are they were they going to go with this as, you know, like for a while as a division? They just we would get these and this was kind of the way they were with the women's wrestling for a while up until, you know, they they became legitimate is we'd get the these mini matches here and there or we get a women's match just pop up at the most random time. Yeah, I I don't know what the point of this was. Like you said it felt out of place. It puts Sunny on the card. Obviously, she always gets a pop from the crowd. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, other than that, uh, the one note to show you the difference between, you know, 1998 and today, uh, the king comes off with the line, come on over here, Sonny. My lap is the best seat in the house. I mean, <laughs> you, you could not say that today. Oh, my God. No way. You could not say that today. Um, you know, then he's talking about uh, – you know, I mean, he's kind of going on and on about that. And, and but yeah, I mean, from the standpoint that they, they call them like the mini superstars. And I, I don't really remember, like, like you said, they just kind of popped up here and there. And I don't remember what the point of it was. Uh, so because of that, maybe it's just because I'm looking back on it 22 years later and I don't remember. But look, there were some fun spots in the match and, and, and it was, you know, you got a couple of chuckles and everything. But I agree with you, Gino, and I don't know how you feel, Andrew, but for me, it just kind of felt out of place. It was weird, and not that it was bad, it was just weird. They did do a fair amount of stuff with the minis at this point. Jim Cornette did a storyline with some of them on an episode of Shotgun Saturday Night, with the gag being that he had brought the minis bus tickets as opposed to train tickets. It was it, it, It's funnier than it sounds. It actually worked out pretty well. If you want the full story, go on the network and look for Jim Cornette's edition of Photoshoot. He tells the story pretty well. Now, a couple of little notes here. This is not the same El Torito that WWE used for Good a point. few years in the 2010s. Completely different guy. Nova is better known as Mascarita Sagrada, who some Lucha Underground fans might remember mm-hmm. for his run there for a couple of years probably best known for the unfortunate line uttered by one Matt Stryker saying that you can call him a paragraph because he's too short to be an essay. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. And that's oh. on Lucha Underground, oh a show gosh. that had a working relationship with AAA, the biggest promotion in Mexico. Oh my gosh. Let that sink in for just a moment. Now, that's not the only cringeworthy commentary line I'm going to run by you guys. The commentary team in this match... Lawler had some hits. He had a lot of misses here, and I think he was trying way, way, way too hard. The one line that just did not sit well with me for any number of reasons was he tried to commit suicide by jumping off a curb. Oh, yeah. Add that to the list of lines you absolutely could not say today for any number of reasons. The match was fine. I was watching the match. I was expecting it to be horrible because mini wrestling is just not my cup of tea. It was fine. It was watchable. These guys were trying. They were busting their butts. A number of the spots did not make a great deal of sense. There weren't a whole heck of a lot of tags in this match. No. This was very much Lucha Libre trios matches where one guy goes to the floor, another guy hops in, and Mm -hmm. that wasn't particularly well explained. The part that I chuckled at, though, is... They cut up to the skybox and they show Mike Tyson and Tyson has to act interested in what's going on. Now, (laughs) for the most part, Tyson was really dialed in. 
you could tell he was a WWF fan. He knew what was going on. He knew his role and he played his role pretty well, but he has to look interested in this minis match. Nobody cares about. And as evidence that nobody cares about this, listen very closely to the announcements of the winners at the end of this match. The great Howard Finkel, God bless his soul, forgets the name of the third wrestler on the winning team. There's a two or three second pause where he goes, uh, Max Mini, Nova, and Mosaic. (laughs) And I found that hysterical because nobody in the arena much cared what was going on here, least of all Howard Finkel. So... We then go backstage to the Nation of Domination. They're looking for Austin. Farouk says to Mark Henry that he didn't he didn't want him in the Nation to start. So get in there and get Austin. I thought that was kind of funny. And they go looking for Stone Cold, but he isn't there. And they have a foam finger set up with the middle foam finger. It's a cute spot, you know. That's pretty funny. Yeah, it was it was fine, you know. Um, Mark Henry had recently turned heel in this angle um, that we see coming up with Ken Shamrock. So we see the build up now packages for The Rock versus Ken Shamrock, who. This feud had been going for a while. This this was a feud that started at Survivor Series. We talked about those two guys were the two the final members of their teams. They went back and forth. They had a nice little you know five minute match at the end of that match, and and now it's Rock versus Ken Shamrock for the IC title. We get the Rock promo before. How about this one? Sheesh. So uh, the Rock's backstage. He's he's almost the Rock now. We've talked about it. He's getting there. He's still got a little ways to go. He's still about a, you know eight months to a year away from being the real rock. And, but he's getting there. And he says, he calls Michael Cole an idiot. He says, the rock fans want to know how the rock feels about President Clinton and Paula Jones. Hey, President, take some advice from the rock. When you lay down with a dog, you're going to get fleas. Don't be silly. You got to cover it, Willie. And then he, then he goes on and he talks about Shamrock for a minute or two. It's another one that, I mean, maybe The Rock could get away with that today, but very few other people would even attempt to say things like that. Uh, can you imagine somebody saying that about Trump or something like that? WWE <laughs> Hall of Famer Donald Trump. Donald Trump. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's The Rock on his way. And now we're starting to get a lot of cuts to the skybox with Tyson. We see Vince and Shane in the skybox. Uh, big booze. For The Rock, Rocky Maivia, and the story is that The Rock is alone with No Nation ringside. And Darren, we get those huge Rocky sucks chants. So he is over right now quickly. I mean, he's think about the Rocky Maivia character when he used to walk out to the ring and nobody would cheer, nobody would boo, nobody cared. This was a much different character that people wanted to see get their ass kicked. Yeah, and it's only about... 15 months removed from his debut at the Survivor Series. Yeah. So, you know, he's turned a corner relatively quickly with the character change. Um, you know, look, a lot of people will tell you uh, it doesn't matter if you get cheered or booed. If you get booed the way Rocky's getting booed, it's not It's not like the you can't wrestle kind of, you know, we can't stand you, boo. It's the reaction you want to get. Now, just you're right. The Rock is very close here. To becoming the rock that we know. Um, you know, some of his cells in the ring are getting to the rock crazy cells that we <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, Shamrock again is huge over. Uh, and I know 
you know, Andrew has talked about this a lot, and so have you, uh, you know, Gino, in terms of what this guy would have been 20 years later and, and what they could have done with him. But it, every time I watch one of his matches, it's, it's like I almost forgot. Uh, how much he was over at this point, and and how good he was in the ring, like capable. Yeah. I I kind of forget that I, I thought of him as maybe someone that, did, like, people had to work with to get good matches out of. That's not the case at all with him. No, no, no. and he's athletic. Uh, you know, uh, there's there's a couple of moves in there that I thought are really good, which you expect from Shamrock. Um, you know, when he gets a little crazed and a little fired up, the crowd really gets into it. You know, Jr. is kind of saying like, you know, all right, hold it together, you know. You know, don't don't snap. You know, stay cool, Ken. Um, but yeah, I mean, you could see Shamrock's character and where they're going with it. Um, you know, the match is good. I think I enjoyed it. Um, you know, I thought these two had very good rapport together. I really don't have anything negative to say about the match. Uh, King had another line in here where uh, Jr. is like kind of going through some of like the stats of like the Rock's heritage and third generation, and you know. He, King says to him, I don't know how you remember all this stuff. I can't remember. <laughs> well, I can tell you something in Sable's bra size. I was sitting there and I went, what did he just say? I know. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. What? Like, where did that come from? Like, <laughs> again, just another example of stuff you cannot say anymore. Um, yeah, but Andrew, I, don't, I mean, I thought the match was fine. It, it didn't bother me. It didn't offend me. It wasn't the greatest match the two of them ever had. Um, you know, I, I could have done, you know, without it. I mean, Shamrock got screwed a lot in this in this feud. It's kind of funny the way they do it. Um, but here's my big problem with the ending, and, and I'll hand it to you, Andrew. So how many times do we see when someone does something with a foreign object or hides a foreign object that the other referees come down and they tell the other referee, hey, man, that's not what happened. This is what happened. But for some reason this time, everybody and their mother saw that The Rock hit him with the knuckles and then put him in Shamrock shorts. But nobody came down to tell the ref that, he, that you know, Shamrock didn't do anything. I know it's a story, and that's the way it's supposed to be. But it always bothered me that sometimes they come down and tell you, and sometimes they don't. Again, it really makes you wonder what courses are taught at Referee University. I'm just saying they might need a new <laughs> dean of admissions there. Seriously. Um, having said that, I get the issue with the finish. I didn't much have a problem with it. To me, it was a different variant of Eddie Guerrero's last match ever on television, if you guys remember what happened. He was working with Ken Kennedy at the time. Referee goes down. Eddie grabs a chair. He doesn't grab it to hit Kennedy. He bangs it on the mat, drops down, lays down, and waits for the referee to come to his senses. Eddie winds up winning by disqualification because the referee believes Kennedy hit him with the chair. It can work in moderation, and I wouldn't have had much exception to this had Shamrock gone over at WrestleMania. He didn't need a long reign with the Intercontinental title. If you wanted to give the strap back to Rock, do it on either Raw the next night or the next week. Give Shamrock that moment, and at the very least, make it seem like the good guy has temporarily won the chase. The money's always in the chase for sure, but send him on a different path after that feud. Give him his one moment, 
and see if the fans take to him. Because the fans wanted to cheer this guy. This guy had some mainstream crossover appeal. UFC obviously wasn't the force it is now or that it was even 10 years ago. But Shamrock was a crossover success guy that could have very easily been marketed. And he was not a bad worker. Remember, at this point, Shamrock's essentially a rookie. He came in WrestleMania of the previous year, which was 10 months earlier than that. This was a guy who, even though he had some basic skills, was still learning. Rock, meanwhile, had come into the company a year and a half earlier than that. He had been with the USWA prior to that, but this was a guy that didn't have a lot of seasoning either. He was still pretty green. For that fact, this match is actually pretty darn good. Mm -hmm. Rock and Shamrock had some chemistry. The ending made sense if the goal was to continue the feud. The problem that I have isn't with this match. It's with the fact that Shamrock never really got his due at the end of the storyline. They just kept jerking him around and jerking him around and jerking him around. Rock became Rock, but he was going to become Rock anyway. I, I had that Shamrock, same note. I had that exact Shamrock same note. just a chance. Just give him a chance with the Intercontinental title. See what he can do with it. And after he wound up getting jerked around and jerked around and jerked around, the window was closed with him. Yeah, I, I had the same thing. It probably helped The Rock, but he might not have needed the the I like at this point no. The Rock's going to be The Rock. Losing this match clean or one of these matches clean to Ken doesn't do anything for him, and it does help Ken maybe because it was like the same thing we talked about with Luger. It's even if it's not his fault when when they just don't win, we get two three times we're just kind of over it as fans. We're like, ah, okay, he's not the guy. He's not going to be that guy. Somebody else is going to be that guy. Um. JR at this point, he's talking about how Ken Shamrock is arguably the best UFC fighter of all time. And you could tell what they were trying to do because Dan the Beast Severn was about to come into the WWE, who he didn't really have a great run. He was part of that NWA crossover, but he legitimately was a badass uh, UFC fighter. Those two had a couple fights. I think they had two or three fights in the UFC. And it, remember, some of those early UFC tournaments were tournaments where it was like a tournament. You would wrestle three times in one, or you would fight three times in one night. So Dan Severn was a beast. He just, he didn't really have any charisma at all. If people don't think Ken Shamrock had charisma, I mean, you comparing the two of them, like Shamrock at least would connect with the crowd. Severn never really was able to, to make a dent with the WWF. So... JR hits the nail on the head Just what Andrew was saying Two young athletes This is not the seniors tour He starts taking shots over at WCW Which he does a few times throughout the show He's mentioning the accolades The national title at Miami At Miami. That's float over DV, DDT by The Rock It was sweet uh, he, he hit it and then he went, out, went for it again And it got countered But it looked really good He slowed things down Shamrock gets the comeback And Rock, uh, yeah, then then the, the finish where we talked about Rock uses the brass knuckles, Shamrock kicks out, then Shamrock hits a belly to belly. He gets the pin. He gets announced as the IC title. Again, this is the second time. So it happens here, it happens at WrestleMania. He's announced as the IC champ. The Rock goes over to the ref. He tells the ref to look in, in Shamrock's tights, and in the tights are the brass knuckles that the Rock used and then put in there. So it's a, you know, it's 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 not bad. It just um, it For Shamrock, this hurt him It was fine to keep it going forward And then one thing I loved He did it in this match and he did it in the Wrestlemania match too After they reversed the decision 
The Rock is is starting to walk down the aisle And he's just holding his arms up With the belt like he just won this thing So clean it's like he's just selling it And you see the actor The Rock you know come out there like this is the guy Who's going to be the biggest star in Hollywood uh, You know 18-20 years down the line Great little funny moment And Good good match no no real knocks I think it, it was pretty solid and as we had all Mentioned they they had a good back and forth And a really nice chemistry JR then mentions that Cactus Jack is going to be in the rumble But dude love and mankind gotta stay home JR you're lying to us That is yeah. not what happens That is not what happens JR um, Los Bariquas They're on the show How about Los Bariquas having a couple appearances uh, on, the, on the rumble show They show up here Then in the rumble And then in the main event match uh, When they come out and they help uh, Shawn Michaels win that match So they're looking for Austin backstage They think they see Austin They run into Skull and 8-Ball of the DOA They get into a little brawl with them Now it's tag team titles time And we saw the build And the start of the New Age Outlaws At Survivor Series They were put together not long before that In 97 And by this point now they're calling them The New Age Outlaws They are the tag team champs we get a, a build-up video package, which I thought was really cool, where it mixed some of the LOD history with some of the new stuff, footage from 91 and 92, SummerSlam, then some of their recent struggles versus the Outlaws, and the Outlaws come out wearing the uh, the Packer jerseys. So in the 97-98 NFL playoffs, the Packers and the, the, the 49ers were the number one and two seeds in the NFC and on January the 11th So just a week before this Green Bay beat the 49ers 23-10 In order to get to the Super Bowl So that's why they're wearing the Packers stuff They're talking trash to the 49ers fans As Green Bay just eliminated them the week before And we get a, we get the uh, intro from Road Dog. They still haven't quite fine-tuned it yet The one that we would we would come to know he says, oh, you didn't know? You ass better call somebody. Because you see, unless you're living under a rock or in California, you know that I'm the road dog, Jesse James. And this is B-A-double-D-A, double crooked letter, badass Billy Gunn. Just like your precious 49ers, your precious LOD is about to become a part of history as well. Steve Young will play a major role in the Super Bowl this year. He will tell his fat wife to go fetch him another brewski. So, uh... Not the uh, the intro we'd know, but man, they were always good on the mic. And uh, another one, Darren, where uh, probably ain't calling too many fat wife comments in, in this day and age. No, you're definitely not. Um, you know, th- th- if, if this pains me to say because I'm such a big LOD fan. I, I thought this match was bad. I-, I thought I thought this was probably the worst match on the card. Um, you know, in-, in the match, it's mostly animal. Hawk doesn't do a whole lot except getting handcuffed. To the ring post. The match is not very long. There's a couple of moves in the ring. There's a, you know, there's one good power slam, and then Animal almost drops uh, Billy Gunn on his head in a power slam, it, maybe three or four inches the other way, and, and it would have been a serious problem. But, uh, I mean, you got those brutal head chair shots, you know, that just make me cringe uh, at the end of the match every time you see them. Uh, you know, it, just, it really just did not do a whole lot for me. They're setting up. You know, this feud to continue, LOD is going to unsuccessfully try to get the belts again. And then you have that whole feud in the battle between Animal and Hawk. And then they, they come back with Sonny at WrestleMania like we talked about. Um, but, yeah, the match didn't do much for me. Well, one note, and this is just completely random. 
It has nothing to do with anything, but it's one of those Easter eggs. So John Cena is not arriving in WWE yet for about two years, uh, a little more than that, actually. Yet, <laughs> funnily enough, during this match, JR makes reference to the cross-face move known as the STF. I saw. I thought that, yeah, yeah. And in, and in the Royal Rumble match, uh, Goldust gets like turned inside out by a, I think it was a Steve Austin, it might have been a Steve Austin clothesline. And he says Austin just gave Goldust an attitude adjustment. That's funny, yeah. And I was like, wow! <laughs> was 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 he just watching this show when he decided to name all of his moves or something? Right, <laughs> yeah, right. Like, but where? Like, I had no idea that 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 move that seemed like that. I had no idea that, that move existed as an STF before. It was just so random that it came up in this match. But uh, Andrew, yeah, I, I I did not think very highly of this match, and neither did Meltzer. He literally gave it one and a quarter stars. I hate to burst your bubble on this, Darren, but as a WCW guy, there were a lot of WCW guys using STFs and not just the one guy we must not name. Uh, Steven Regal at the time had an STF that he called the Regal Stretch. Uh, there were a couple of different finishers like that. STF is short for Step Over Toe Hold Face Lock, if you're keeping track at home or if you want to win a couple of bar bets with fellow nerds once it's okay to go out to a bar again. <laughs> I agree with Darren. This match was not good. For as much as the Outlaws did outside the ring, 90% of their appeal was stuff they did before and after the bell. Absolutely. From bell to bell, eh, short bursts with them were the key. Now, there are a couple of things I don't get. As Gino mentioned, JR earlier in the show, said, this ain't the seniors tour, which is fine and dandy. And that's a legitimate shot at WCW. However, in this match, you have Jerry the King Lawler getting digs on Animal and Hawk's age and their stamina. For one, that doesn't jive well with everything JR was saying less than an hour prior to that. And also, a lesson Chris Jericho talks about learning in his very first book from an independent promoter and somebody who claimed to have trained him a little bit when in fact all he did was beat him on the indie circuit a couple of times. By that logic, if the New Age Outlaws win this match clean, all they've done is beaten a couple of old guys. Old guys. It does and nothing they, for them. And if they lose, which they did by disqualification, it means they lost to a bunch of old guys. Who does that help? I understand that we're going into minutia that didn't really apply during the Attitude Era where everything was so fast-paced and you didn't really have time to think about that stuff before it was on to the next segment. But that did not sit well with me. Animal and Hawk were very far past their primes at this point. And it hadn't gotten to where it was uncomfortable to watch, but you could see that they were losing a step. And as Darren mentioned, there was one spot right near the end of the match. Animal goes for the power slam on Billy. And... Animal's power slam is usually a thing of beauty. Mm -hmm. Here, Billy Gunn almost gets dropped on his head. And you can see Road Dog running in with the chair. And I think some of that was a sense of urgency to break up the count in character. I think some of it was because he was uh -oh. worried about his tag team partner getting dropped on his head. So 
Not a lot of good things happening in this match. The crowd hated the finish. LOD's standing in the ring. They get announced as the winners. And here's how you know it fell flat. The crowd was dead quiet. There was no Road Warrior pop. There was nothing even remotely close. And the Outlaws are running from the ring with the tag titles, acting like they just stole something. This did not sit well with me at all whatsoever. The less said about it, the better. So JR mentions at the beginning, which I thought was interesting, that they were the AWA and NWA title winners. He very rarely, you very rarely hear other organizations brought up. And I think this was kind of funny because he said, They've won the titles for all of the major major organizations. Again, leaving WCW out. He wasn't going to give them a shout out. This was all, you know, the outlaws trying to walk out. This was mostly LOD until they, you know, Billy trips or Road Dog trips um, Hawk from the outside. They handcuff Hawk and then animals in the the ring. You you both mentioned that scary power slam. It, power slam. It was like instead of the power slam, like we know where you turn, it was like a sloppy. He Caught him, then a slow turn Billy gets dropped on his shoulder I don't know how he didn't get injured there and Then Road, Road Dog immediately in with the chair For the, the beat down, he gets DQ'd um, They're beating down Animal Hawk breaks the handcuffs, comes in and runs them off what, What's kind of weird about this And with Shamrock too In that angle Neither one of these angles The, fa- the baby faces ever really got the comeuppance you, you know, you were watching this angle Throughout the year, expecting the LOD to beat the outlaws and to, to, to be the ones to kind of get the, get the better of them. And that never really happened. So I, I maybe for whatever reason they were done with them or they were just using LOD to get them over. We you know in the, in the good guys, bad guys world, you kind of figure at least there's going to be one opportunity where they, they get over. And that just was not the case here as uh, LOD is on their, uh, on their run and on the way out. We do a giveaway here. Mildred Bowers. Wins the Stone Cold Truck, and uh, she's in Nashville. I, what I thought was funny about this is, you know, King Jerry the King says she's probably going through the roof of her trailer right now, and he he kind of popped Jr. for a minute. Jr. even chuckled at that one a little bit because Jr. I, for whatever reason, he he probably wasn't wasn't expecting uh, King to say something about this woman, but it was, he chuckled. And uh, now we're ready for the Rumble. We get all the Royal Rumble build up, the video packages, Stone Cold is a marked man. He's called everybody out. It is Rumble time. And one little small thing I always loved about the Rumble and in hearing some of the interviews and watching some of the documentaries we've all watched, they always discuss how Howard Finkel loved the Rumble being able to explain the rules. It was like <laughs> one of his moments to shine where he got like 2 minutes that he was able to speak instead of just his little, you know, intro and you could tell every time Bobby used to do it and then King would do it and they'd say, "Come on, Howard," you know, or they'd like make fun of him, but he loved his little 2 minutes where he could explain everything that would happen in the in the Rumble for you to be eliminated. So, cool shout out to the Fink. Number 1, it's Cactus Jack. He comes out with trash cans. JR says Cactus Jack can be colder than a mother-in-law's kiss And number two is Chainsaw Charlie Who's Terry Funk Coming out with his chainsaw And Cactus Jack's throwing chairs into the ring To start Fink Funk Funk walks right over And just asks for a chair shot And Cactus nails him in the head And then they reverse it He walks right over He gives Funk the chair And then Funk nails Fully right in the head a few times And we talk about cringy things And just knowing what we know with the concussions And like Mick Foley and how he's had tough, some tough time Like moving around later in his life 
this was was definitely tough to watch. So we'll go one through four, and then I'll, I'll hand it to Darren. Tom Brandy, the big Italian. Shout out to the big Italian. I mean, he is barely in the ring. He's gone really quickly, and then it's back to the crazy guys with the the chair shots all over. And then number four is the Rock. Jr. mentions it's going to test the Rock's conditioning. Rock gets double teamed. He gets nailed with a trash can. They put it on top of him, and they they kind of hit back and forth. That was a, a fun spot where they're just kind of going to town on the Rock. They knock him through the ropes, and Cactus gets on the middle rope to celebrate with the crowd, and uh, a low blow by Funk there. So we're up to four now. The Rock is number four, Darren. And so I mean, we get Cactus and and Chainsaw with a fun start, and now the Rock's in. So at least there are a couple people that the crowd cares about to start. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, there, there's even a funny line where Chainsaw gets hit. I, I think it was with a clothesline, and, <laughs> and JR says, no, I'm sorry, Lawler says, oh, man, he might have knocked the funk out of him. I thought yeah. that was <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, the Rock, the Rock comes in at four. He's going to be in for fifty over 51 minutes here. Um, you know, a really good job by him. But, you know, he's one of the guys that needs to carry this rumble. Because what you're going to start to see, I mean, number one, Chainsaw Charlie comes in at number two. He's in the match for 25 minutes. I mean, not no no disrespect to Terry Funk, but you wouldn't expect Chainsaw Charlie, you know, to be in this match for 25 minutes. Now, here's the weird thing: he's in the match for 25 minutes, but he was only the sixth guy eliminated. So there was really not that much stuff going on and I early. Think- I think because of it, we'll get and Andrew. We'll, we'll let you go through one through four in a second. I think Andrew, because of the fact that there weren't, there wasn't a lot of star power in this rumble. They kind of had the idea of we're going to stuff this ring, and almost the entire rumble we have eight, nine, ten guys in the ring. Yeah, and you guys have sort of illustrated my problem with Chainsaw Charlie slash Terry Funk and. We'll, we've gone through this before. If you're going to give someone a gimmick, give them a gimmick. Do not say Chainsaw Charlie or Terry Funk. Yeah. Pick one. Just yeah. pick one and roll with it. It's not hard. And if you want to, you know, give little head nods, that's fine. But in reality, it just looked like Terry Funk with some weird stuff on his head and a chainsaw in his hand. Pantyhose on his face. That was it. (laughs) Yeah. So I wasn't the biggest fan of that. Just bring Terry Funk in as Terry Funk. You're not losing anything. You guys mentioned the unprotected chair shots. I'm going to take things a step further with a little bit of a lighter take on this. Given what we saw, what is to prevent someone from bringing whatever weapon they want to the (laughs) ring in a Royal Rumble setting? You're yeah. telling me that someone couldn't bring an arsenal to the ring and just clear it whenever yeah. they wanted? Like, what the heck's going on here? And from the standpoint of looking at the Rumble, this was one of those where you could tell they were just throwing everything up against a wall and seeing what stuck. Lawler had a really good line talking about Terry Funk's family, of course, a big wrestling family, saying the Funk gene pool could have used more chlorine. I thought that was a good line. Rock comes out at number four, and he's got to pull double duty because there just isn't the roster power that we've grown accustomed to. With yeah, he's the already w- gone 11 w- minutes. At the time. He's yeah. already gone 11 with Shamrock. Yep. And the one thing that I will say before we move on to the next section is 
You know what I missed in all of this from having watched a lot of Rumbles, especially the recent ones? I missed hearing Michael Cole's little facts about every competitor in the Rumble, talking about, you know, how many Rumbles they'd been in, stuff they had done in past years. That, I think, is something that I appreciate a little bit more, seeing all the Rumbles where the entrances are just, oh, it's that guy. I agree. It's always nice when we get the resume to run down, and the next section, we wouldn't have much to run down as far as the resumes are concerned. The number five entrant is Headbanger Mosh. The number six entrant is Phineas, who JR says is 6'7", 300 plus. He says, living proof of what happens when first cousins marry. Who's so supposed now, to get over? Come I, on! Yeah, yeah. So we're six in now, and they're five in the ring. There's only been one one elimination so far. That was Tom Brandy. Number seven, eight ball. Oh, jeez. I can't believe this one. And JR says maybe seven is his lucky number. Eight ball who comes into the ring He lasts So the, the, the number six, seven, and eight entrance And I think this is they, These were the ones that Darren was probably specifically mentioning And Andrew in the intro Six is So Mosh is five, he's in there for 13 minutes Six is Phineas He's in the ring for 28 minutes And 48 seconds Almost 29 minutes Phineas Godwin Eight ball is number seven He's in the ring for over 30 minutes 30 minutes and 43 seconds. And then number eight is Bradshaw, JBL. He's in the ring for 35 minutes and 45 seconds. He's not JBL, who's a main eventer at this point. He's just a. T- we have three wrestlers in a row who are just one part of a tag who have no chance of winning this. And they're in this match for 29, 30 plus, and 35 plus minutes, Darren. Yeah, and then the next guy is Owen Hart, who can work with a broomstick, and he gets two minutes of ring time. Yeah, um, you know, so it's stuff like stuff like that makes me crazy. Um, and you know, th- there's others too. I mean, you know, they, they leave Mark Merrow in there for 20 minutes because Sable's on the outside, probably. Yep. Uh, the other headbanger Thrasher is in there for almost half an hour. I mean, for crying out loud, the Honky Tonk Man is in there for 20 minutes. Now, no disrespect to the Honky Tonk Man. But we all know how these legends go. They come in, they have like their three, four minutes, and then they're gone. I mean, they literally have the honky-tonk man in this match for 20 minutes. But this is the part of the match that it's like, wow. Phineas, 8-Ball, and Blackjack Bradshaw, 90-plus minutes combined. I mean, that's just wow. Uh, and, and And none of them are getting eliminated yet. You know, they're just all sticking around. And... Uh, they all stick around for you know quite a while. Owen Hart obviously gets jumped, and that changes things at number nine. But yeah, when you take a look at the top eight, and you're like, all right, you got The Rock, you got Foley. Uh, yeah, you got The Rock and you got Foley. Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, you know, no, clearly nobody else in there, you know, has any hope in hell of winning this match. And I mean, let's be honest, I don't think anybody really thought that Cactus Jack was winning, but just because of what other talent there was around them, you know, that's that's what you look to. I mean, there was just not much going on at this part of the Rumble in terms of talent. The one time you can get away with giving someone the crowd doesn't care about an extended Rumble run is if you know you have plans for them going forward. Bradshaw getting a half-hour run 
doesn't stun me in hindsight because certain parts of the office were always very high on him. That's a good point. Good reason, given everything that he would wind up doing after this. He wound up doing the APA. He wound up being JBL. Fine. You're really going to tell me they had plans for eight ball. And Phineas, you know, no big Phineas eight ball. Like D'Lo gets a run. I'm I'm okay with D'Lo's run because it's part of the nation, right? At least it makes sense. He's in there with a couple of others. He's part of the faction. That's part of the you know. That's fine. But and and they even like D'Lo a little bit too. He gets a push. So that's a really good point from you, Andrew. It's just we never, nobody ever thought. That 8-Ball or Phineas had a chance in hell A prayer in hell And this is when we do the Royal Rumble pools Whenever somebody gets a Phineas or a Headbanger Mosh Or an 8-Ball We just roll our eyes and rip and rip it up And know that we, we threw our 10 bucks away <laughs> It's usually me And you can usually hear me going God damn it Up and down the west coast So now we're up to number 9 Owen Hart He gets attacked from behind by Jeff Jarrett With Jim Cornette Who nails Owen in the back with a tennis racket JR says Cornette is a stain on the underwear of life. Great line. <laughs> and uh, uh, I mean, yeah. Owen had had a match on December the 29th for the title on Raw. So after the Montreal screw job, I even looked up all of Owen's matches online, what he had. He had one house show match a couple days later where it was him and Nyhart versus Stone Cold and Dude Love. And then following that, we did not see Owen show back up for, I think, six weeks. It was towards the end of December. He shows back up. He's the sole survivor. They're calling him the Black Heart. He, the crowd is crazy for him. And it felt like if they ever wanted to, because we could tell Vince always would, he liked Owen, but he would never felt like Owen was a true main eventer. This would have been the time right here. There were actually rumors that Owen was even maybe in line to get the title match at the Rumble against Sean. In the main event and I think they, they Tied in everything with The Undertaker and with Kane Which ended up working okay but it's just A bummer seeing Owen right Here this crowd is hot For Owen Hart when he comes out He feels like one of a few who you could Maybe make a case for okay Brett's Gone Owen's got the build up already with Sean they had a match the other night it was Good you know it was good Owen got The better he, he deserves to get it And unfortunately Owen Ends up getting into a feud with Jeff Jarrett and then he ends up going to the Nation of Domination And they have a good tag team You know, later, but It felt like Owen had an opportunity right here That they really kind of missed on uh, So Owen gets beat down He ends up going back to the locker room We don't see Owen, we don't really hear about Owen Much for a little while Number 10 is Steve Blackman So now we have 7 in the ring And really 8 when you count Owen Because he hasn't been eliminated King is repeating that somebody got to Austin backstage. He says he does not think Austin's going to be coming out. He's trying to pull the Bobby the Brain Heenan stuff where he's like, I got my sources backstage. It's not really hitting. I don't think any of us are thinking Austin's not coming out. And, and I think that is probably what hurt this rumble a little bit too. And I understand why they're doing it. Remember, Austin has just coming off of a neck injury. He hasn't really been doing a ton in the ring And his matches at this point are a lot more street fight types I don't know if they wanted him to go 30-35 minutes out there I think they might have been a little bit concerned If Austin is number 2 And he's in the match throughout Even when we have these, these spurts of wrestlers that we don't think can win There's always the one guy that we do think can win in the match So we're a little bit more into it Um 
With Austin not coming out till 24 It's a little bit different So we're at Steve Blackman Who, you know, he's still the the rookie here Uh, D'Lo Brown is number 11 And him and The Rock immediately go at it They don't even wait, you know, they're going at it within about a minute Number 12 is Kurgan the Interrogator who, Who we saw at the Rumble He is just so, so stiff and bad And does not sell He tosses Mosh out of the ring So we have 8 left We'll stop at number 13 um, with uh, Mark Marrow comes out with Sable. <laughs> JR says that Sable is very popular, but Mario need uh, but Marrow Marrow needs one of those charisma bypasses, which I thought was another great line from JR. Uh, Kurgan tosses Steve Blackman. So we we have eight still in the ring. And at this point, Darren, we're at number 13, and we've had maybe two to three legitimate contenders. And we're calling, you know, Cactus and Owen. Contenders and Owen hasn't even been in the ring. It's really just the Rock. Yeah, yeah, no, that's going to be the theme of this Rumble. A um, couple of things you touched on. So look, uh, we talk about Owen a lot. You know, the theme of missed opportunities with Owen uh, are are immense in in WWE. And um, when you look at the guys that WCW missed on, you know, obviously you think of Steve Austin not realizing that he was a main event talent. Chris Jericho, same thing. Uh, You know, not being able to come up with a character for Mark Calloway, who was a tremendous athlete that they couldn't come up with anything beyond, you know, mean Mark. Uh, You know, even, uh, you know, Kevin Nash, before he became Diesel and Kevin Nash, was Vinny Vegas. Razor Ramon was the diamond stud. uh, You know, so there's a long history of them in WCW. Um in WWE, I could make a case that Owen is the wrestler that they missed out on the most in terms of not realizing just how good he was. And sure, he had some great moments. 94 was obviously his best year, but there was so much more that they could have done with him. He was never leaving. He was never going to another organization. Um, or maybe he would have once he went to the Blue Blazer, you know, and, and obviously we know what happened from there. But uh, in my in my view, he's the wrestler that Vince really did not know what he had. Um, and, and the crowd tried to tell him, Owen is over huge, and it's just not clicking. Um, D'Lo, I'll talk about the, 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 uh, the stuff with the nation now that, that bothered me. So they start this pay-per-view where they're on, they're on the prowl looking for Austin, right? They're all going to gang up. They want to beat up Austin. They don't want him to get to the ring. Okay, that, that's fine if that's going to continue in the rumble. And when Austin's music hits, it continues for like a minute. But what happened to this whole mantra of everybody is out to get Austin? Why is the nation of domination beating each other up this entire Royal Rumble? Like, the whole point of it was that everybody was supposed to work together to, to get Austin out and to prevent them from getting there. And the nation's got five guys in the ring at once, and they're kicking each other's ass. Like, I, I mean, I get it. Like, it makes for some fun commentary or whatever. But for what the storyline was supposed to be, I didn't really get what they were doing. Um, so that's my take with Deal in the Nation. Mark Merrow... He's got some spots in this rumble. I don't know if you noticed it, guys, Andrew, where 
like there's like a guy's throwing punches and he's just like standing next to them shadow boxing. Like he's like, yeah, like hit him with the right, hit him with the left. And he's like shadow boxing with the guy as he's throwing the punches. And I'm like, well, what is Mero doing right now? Like, like he's standing next to, you know, Steve Blackman as he's throwing like punches and kicks and he's like throwing the punches with him and he's punching the air. And I was just like, what the hell is that supposed to be? Like, it made no sense to me. But that's a funny thing that I joke about in this Rumble. But I didn't get the whole nation of domination imploding when they were supposed to be teaming up to get Austin. That was a convergence of a number of storylines. At that time, the NOD was coming apart because Farouk and The Rock were coming apart. And we saw that once it got down to the final four. You wind up with a rumble that's supposed to be every man for himself, but everyone's also trying to gang up on Steve Austin. Those two storylines did not work. I think that's a far bigger issue than, Darren, what you mentioned. You're right in that it didn't really work, but it was emblematic of a much bigger problem with the way this match was booked, simply because as far as star power was concerned, it was Austin and then everybody else. Mm -hmm. Now... You guys mentioned how Vince missed the boat on Owen. Owen was a terrific in-ring worker from bell to bell. Probably one of the best technical wrestlers of the last 30 years. I get why Vince didn't want to push him. Because when you put a mic in his hand, you were never quite sure he was going to deliver the goods. See also, I kicked your leg out from under your leg. People forget how bad that promo was because the matches were so good. Owen was not a great promo. He was inconsistent. When he was on, he was fine. But Vince, he he needed the storyline too, right? I don't think if you were, so the stuff with Brett was great because there was so much behind it. And and that's why this would have been the time right here because it was so built in already with the Sean stuff and the Brett stuff. Other, I can understand where you're coming from on that too Because he's not someone that's going to open Raw And go out and command the, the audience Maybe with a 15-20 minute promo no. Weasley heel Owen is good And could have been a good like main event Foil to some hot baby face And, and in certain spots He could have been It just felt like you're not going to go all the way with him right now You're never going to do it Right, and it's not a case where I'm trying to hate on Owen Hart no. Because he was an excellent technical wrestler But Brett had the ability to, at the very least, do passable promos in every situation. And his 1997 on the mic was absolute fire. The dude was great. Owen didn't have that gear. And I certainly think they missed the boat on him potentially being a main eventer. But as far as being the guy, I just have doubts that he was ever going to succeed in that role as being the guy simply because he didn't quite have the ability on the mic that even Brett had. And I feel like that is the barrier. If you're as good or better than Brett on the microphone and you've got everything else, you've got a shot at being the guy. But if you're not quite at that level, it's going to really hamstring you with the guy calling the shots. So I love yeah. watching him work. The spots in the Rumble here were really good. We'll get to where he eliminates Jeff Jarrett and gets a monster pop. But as far as being a top guy, I just never saw it. 
So number 14 it's Ken Shamrock He goes after Kurgan And then everyone teams up to eliminate Kurgan We still have 8 in the ring For a while it's literally like One in one out uh, and At least at this point Ken feels like someone Who could win because they do this kind of thing Often or they've done it before you, We saw it with Brett we've seen it throughout you, you lose a match earlier on In the card at the Rumble and then you can come back And win the Rumble you know and, and so There was a story even built in he got stripped Of the, t- the IC maybe he can win it And have an opportunity to go face Sean Again in the main event Number 15 headbanger thrasher uh, So uh, 20 minutes baby yeah. 20 minutes I mean, unbelievable and unbelievable. So D'Lo and Rock are going at it. We have nine in the ring. Number 16, here comes Mankind. He goes right in. He eliminates Chainsaw Charlie quickly. And so this is the second face of Foley. We saw Cactus Jack. Now we see Mankind. Um, Now there's still nine in the ring. It's Rock, Shamrock, Mankind, Eight Ball, Bradshaw, Thrasher, Phineas, Miro, and D'Lo Brown. Up to 17, Goldust. He's in a different outfit. How about that? Now he's in uh, one that's like silver with a like a bra and panties over the outfit. Jr. calls him an emotional invalid. He says the dreams boy though. He does mention that. We which is a little shout out to Dusty. And then Goldust eliminates Mankind. We actually had ten in the ring for uh, a few seconds before Mankind gets eliminated. And then we'll go through eighteen and and hand it off to Darren after eighteen, where Jeff Jarrett comes in with Cornette. Yeah. Uh, Jared is the NWA North American champion. He's strutting. And then here comes Owen Hart. A huge pop. JR calls him the sole survivor, the Black Heart. Uh, he attacks Double J. JR mentions that Owen has won every title but the big one at this point, which is cool. He's been the tag champ, the IC champ, the Euro- European champ. Owen skins the cat, saves himself from getting eliminated. And a point that Andrew just mentioned, he pulls himself up the ropes. He tosses Jarrett to a huge pop. And Darren, I got to give it up to, to Jarrett too. He goes flying. He sells it. I mean, he goes flying over the top rope and, and onto the floor. It's a great elimination. Yeah, it's one of the best eliminations of the matches. I I, I totally agree with you. That, that whole sequence uh, was phenomenal. Um, the two things that I'll touch on here, we talked about some of the booking and some of the things of the Rumble that bothered me. Um, I can't stand when somebody who's in the rumble gets eliminated by people that are not in the match. Like, I, I mean, I can't stand that. And, and to be honest with you, I remember rumbles where guys get eliminated from people outside and they don't count the elimination. Yep. The guy go back. And then sometimes it counts like this stuff. The inconsistency in that drives me crazy. I mean, if you're in the Royal rumble, you can't be eliminated by somebody that's not in the match. I'm sorry. Like, that's just complete nonsense. And that's what happens to Owen. The other thing in here, and to me, this is one of the biggest blunders in the Rumble. Shamrock comes out. You just had a match with The Rock. The dude took brass knuckles to your face. Thought the same thing. And he planted them in your drawers. You won the belt. They took it away from you because he planted them in your drawers and, and was selling the ref on the idea that you hit him with the knuckles. How do you not go flying into that ring and just pummel the living hell out of the rock? He never goes near him. How is that possible? you got to make like, a beeline right for him. I don't understand. Like, he comes in and he just kind of like stands around. Oh, I'm going to go up to Kurgan. All right. 
I'm going to hit this guy. I'm going to hit this guy. And The Rock is like laying on the floor underneath the turnbuckle. And I, I'm watching it going, what the hell is that? Like, it makes it makes no sense because they're in the middle of this monster feud. And you just got completely screwed by this guy. Not to mention he used brass knuckles on you. And you're not going ape shit when you get in the ring? Like, to me, that was a monster blunder in just terms of, like, how you booked this match. It made absolutely no sense. I'll agree with Darren on not liking when eliminations happen in that kind of finicky fashion. To me, the all-time champion of this came a couple of years ago when Brock Lesnar got eliminated by members of the Wyatt family, I believe it was 2016. <laughs> yes. And that was bad. However, if WWE is going to let that happen, why doesn't Wyatt keep the Wyatt family in the ring and mm-hmm. have them eliminate everybody else? The whole and time. And the title that way. It's just, it's inconsistent storytelling. And the reason that it bothers us is because when this company wants to, they can tell stories just about as well as any entertainment avenue, not just in sports, but in the entire entertainment world, when they want to. The problem is when they decide logic doesn't matter, it's really, really, really frustrating. So we're up to number 19 now with Honky Tonk Man. Here comes Triple H on crutches with China. And we get a raw. So yeah, what's what's this is when you were talking about a little earlier, Darren. They didn't do a good job. Okay, so they're gonna have Triple H come out and help, you know, eliminate Owen, and they're gonna, you know, build to a feud with Owen and Triple H. That's fine. I'm I'm fine with that. But there was a a little too much going on right here because the Rock low blows and eliminates Shamrock. That should have been a big moment because Shamrock's yeah. one of the big contenders. So that should have been done two minutes before or after Triple H is even out there. Because then. We're not paying attention, like you said, to both of those things, which are both big parts of the show. Two of your five biggest contenders in this match now with Ken and uh, with Shamrock and Owen are out. Triple H and China distract Owen. They nail him with the crutches, and they eliminate Owen. So within just a, a minute to two, we have Shamrock and Owen. If you're talking about the babyface pops and who they wanted, these guys were probably two and three behind Austin. It was, it was like what the crowd would have wanted Who to win this match So that was a big deal and it just didn't feel big Because it happened so quick And uh, J, uh, JR says What an arrogant ass is Helmsley I thought that was just funny <laughs> to hear A man who would be his boss for some years later Down the line um, Number 20 Ahmed Johnson He just looks super disinterested right He just doesn't yeah. seem like he's caring at all uh, Owen runs backstage though Right before Ahmed comes in And he's running back behind the curtains And he falls down <laughs> right when he gets through And then the king laughs um, JR says the only man in the rumble Wearing earrings when Ahmed comes out KR, uh, King says if he was a little smarter He'd know how stupid that lo- that looks <laughs> <laughs> Which is great um, And then King says Oh no my cousin honky tonk man And then he, he, he catches himself and he goes I mean, Honky Tonk Man. You know, that was the running <laughs> joke is that he wasn't the Honky Tonk's cousin. He wasn't the father of Brian Christopher. So I thought that was kind of a funny little moment where he catches himself. Um, number 21, here comes Mark Henry. This is hilarious, right? JR does not mean to do this or say this. And I just catch this line because I'm, wa- I'm writing down all the commentary. He says, 
Mark Henry is handling the big Johnson with those clubbing tree-like arms. And I just stopped and I was laughing so hard. I just started. It just was great because he's obviously blatantly talking about Ahmed Johnson. But he just Mark Henry handling the big Johnson with those clubbing tree-like arms. At this point, we have 11 in the ring. Uh, then number 22 and nobody comes out. That's where Jerry says it was supposed to be Austin. The, so nobody's out at number 22. The nation eliminates Ahmed Johnson. Pretty nondescript, too, for another you know big feud that had been going on for a while. Phineas gets eliminated by Mark Henry. And, and then eliminate those two. And it, So they eliminate together Phineas and Ahmed. This is what we're just talking about. And then why do D'Lo and Mark Henry go right back at it? Yeah. It's like, hey, we just did good. We, we just threw two guys out. Let's just... Continue to eliminate from the ring and then we'll go at it It just doesn't make logical common sense um, Kama is number 23 Now we have 10 in the ring Kama and D'Lo go at it Even though they have 4 nation uh, Domination members in there And let's get to number 24 When we head over to Darren Because this is where the match really picks up I guess with Stone Cold coming in Stone Cold music and the big pop Everyone in the ring stops All 10 they turn to the entrance, they look for Austin Who comes in from behind He he tosses marrow and then 8-ball But you, you hit on it, Darren Why does everybody go back 20 seconds later to what they were doing And not all team up and try to just throw Austin out? Bad booking I mean, that's, you know That's supposed to be the story of the Royal Rumble And it's just It's it's forgotten in, in the blink of an eye It just doesn't make any sense Um yeah, I mean, you have some guys in, in this sequence of, you know, obviously Kama in, in the nation and, and Henry in the nation. By the way, the Mark Henry elimination is probably one of the worst eliminations I've ever seen in a Royal Rumble, where Farouk throws him over the top rope, and he lands on his two feet on the apron, and he starts to, like, come back in in between the ropes – and he's like three quarters of the way back in the ring. And Farouk hits him with one punch. And he like very awkwardly just falls out of the awful. ring. It's awful. It's awful. Like absolutely awful. Like that could not have been what was supposed to happen. I don't know what they were going for. But it was bad. I mean, and, and again, it was just another moment in this rumble that stuck out to me. Like what the hell was that? But uh, yeah, I mean, Austin comes in, he ends up eliminating seven guys throughout the Rumble. They all double team him for, you know, well, double team. The whole ring goes after him for 20 seconds. And then it's like, all right, all right, that's it. Enough of that. Now we're going to go back to beating each other up. And that's when Austin starts to, you know, go after people, low blow people, stunner here, stunner there. We're off to the races. But Andrew, I mean, you know, this is what drove me nuts about this Rumble. The whole story was everyone, you know, it's 29 guys against one, and it literally lasted for 30 seconds. I know. Who picked this show? Really? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I've got two notes, one of which I just want to get to very quickly because it just broke on Twitter. Tessa Blanchard just got released by Impact Wrestling. That's pretty big news. Um, as it wow, turned out, wow. they terminated. That's really yeah, big news. They terminated the relationship, and they stripped the world title. Five months ago, she was one of the biggest stars in all the wrestling, and now she doesn't have a job, and AEW is probably not going to touch her 
because of all of the alleged racist comments that she made that have been backed up by a number of female wrestlers in the industry. So really strange stuff going on there. And I didn't want to deviate too long, but I just saw that pop up on Twitter. So I figured I would bring it it. up. Yeah. Now the other tidbit I have here, and this goes to show just how boring the match was before the glass broke at 24. I looked it up because I didn't remember Ahmed Johnson sticking around WWF much after this match. Sure enough, this was one of his last appearances with the WWF. The story he tells is he was with the WWF. A show in February, the next month, was supposed to include him getting beaten to a pulp backstage and there being doubt as far as his future ability with the company. Now, what was supposed to go after that, I don't know. According to Ahmed Johnson... His sister was terminally ill and he knew she was about to pass away. He did not want the last thing that she saw to be her brother getting his ass kicked on television. So instead of that happening, he quit the company 15 minutes before showtime. Hmm. I don't have any good comments or bad comments. I just think it's a phenomenal story and I don't know it, obviously, if Ahmed Johnson's telling the truth wholeheartedly there, that's a terrible story, and you get it a little bit. But this is professional wrestling, and it's like the rules of the famed show House with Hugh Laurie. Everybody lies. So tough to say what happened there. But I did look that up because you guys were right. He looked really disinterested, especially given that a year and a half prior to this, he was being positioned as a gigantic star. He was the first, the first African-American wrestler to win a singles title in the WWF. Good trivia question. And he was supposed to be a gigantic star. He had the look. Obviously, he couldn't work, but they figured they'd teach him. And he, then he connected legs, pretty well. Yes. He, didn't, he, he didn't cut promos great, but it was like one of those connections with the crowd where he, the crowd got behind him. Yes. Then his knees gave out. Mm-hmm. And when his knees gave out, he missed a lot of time in late 96 and in 97. He was constantly feuding with the Nation of Domination. There were two or three different storylines he was in with them over the course of a two-year period. And it just didn't pan out for him. He took a long break, resurfaced in WCW as Big T. And they called him Big T because he had gained about 100 pounds in the mm-hmm. year that he was away. If you really are a completist, and you want to watch Ahmed Johnson and WCW, you can do this. I don't advise it. I think it's hazardous to your health. But if you want to watch that stuff, it's on the network. You know, there are a few matches of his you can pull up before he comes to WWF where he's not quite as top-heavy. He's he's pulling moonsaults off. Yeah. It's unbelievable. You, you're like, you can't believe it's the same guy. His work ethic is much better. And then he gets really big in WWF and, and, and his character changes and he's all about the, the, you know, strong and power moves. But he actually was, was pretty athletic and could go more than he could in the 96. You know, 96, like you said, they're, they're building him to be a guy, to definitely be a guy there. He's like number two babyface behind Shawn Michaels, you know, through, through a yeah. lot of that. Um, yeah. And it just, you, you mentioned just, a long feud with the nation, but the injuries caught him and 
either injuries to him or injuries to some of the other guys. He he injured Farouk in the ring a couple times, and as you mentioned, he wasn't the safest worker. But I I'm glad we got a big T reference on this episode too, which <laughs> is great. That one off the bingo card. <laughs> you want on this show? <laughs> so we're down to the uh, the final group, twenty five through thirty. Henry Godwin comes out. And it's already been 30 minutes now for Bradshaw that that, that JR mentions, which is just crazy. Um, the Rock and Kama go at it. Number 26 is Savio Vega with Los Barriquas. Now, what I do like is that Savio Vega and Austin have had a feud for a while at this point. I mean, you go back to 96, these guys had a strap match. They actually had some decent chemistry, and they could, you know, they had some good matches together. But the, you know, the Barriquas are just, you know, Fill in uh, Fill in faction right here They're nothing I always gotta laugh at the Barrico With the incredibly hairy back That just busts out of the tank top he's wearing Like he's so hairy It almost looks fake It just was hilarious um, They go right after Austin And again though We're looking at this now it, it, 26 guys in You look around the ring And who is a threat Austin Maybe Rock they got, The only other contenders that I thought had a shot Shamrock, Owen, they're gone So we have 10 guys in there But like one and a half legitimate contenders Here comes Farouk Who at least has been in a main event picture He's had main event matches before And he wouldn't be the biggest shock If he were to win something like this He goes right after The Rock And then Rock and Austin, they're battling They go through the ropes They're battling outside the ring At this point we have 12, um, 12 in there now Dude Love comes out at number 28 JR says Mrs. Foley's baby boy is pulling a triple header He eliminates Bradshaw Rock with the people's elbow on D'Lo Austin and Rock battling a little more 29, here comes Chains And at this point they mention that Rock's been in there about 50 minutes After a match earlier too And King keeps talking trash to Mike Tyson as they go back and forth And then number 30, it's Vader the uh, honky tonks out. Vader gets a big pop. So Vader is a contender, I guess, at this point. And, and you could think of Vader winning this match, and he's hot, and he's been getting a good build for a while with this new baby face turn. So what we've got left is ten: Austin, The Rock, Vader, Dude Love. So so I guess you could think, okay, one of those four. That's not a a bad four. But the others that are left in the ring: Goldust, Salvio, Chains, Kama, Mark Henry, Farouk. Henry, Henry Godwin, Thrasher we, we don't think any of them are winning um, Out goes Kama and Thrasher And then Austin tosses Savio uh, Goldust eliminates Vader And then Henry Godwin gets tossed out Farouk eliminates Goldust So now we're down to five uh, Mark Henry just goes out With that brutal spot that Darren mentioned Final four, Farouk, The Rock Austin and Dude Love So they set up two on two Austin and Dude Love Kind of going at it with the Farouk and the Rock back and forth. Remember, they were a tag team, Austin and Dude Love, right before this. And uh, Austin then turns on Dude Love, look, kicks him low, and uh, and then Farouk eliminates Dude Love. So we're down to three. It's the Rock, it's Stone Cold, and it's Farouk. Farouk ends up going after Austin, and then while he is uh, is going after him, the Rock comes up, sneaks up from behind, eliminates Farouk. We're down to two. Two of the biggest stars in the history of wrestling The Rock isn't quite there yet And actually neither is Austin Neither of these guys are there yet But it's 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 interesting to see these two And, and what will, would come forward not Knowing that they, they hadn't won a title Between the two of them, a world title quite yet So it's a little back and forth And then we get the stunner 
Adios, Rock. Stone Cold! Stone Cold is going to WrestleMania! Austin celebrates in the ring. Mike Tyson cheers. And uh, we get Michael Cole doing that Skybox interview with Tyson that we've all laughed about where he calls him Cold Stone. He says Cold Stone is his man. And he calls Shawn Michaels a young up-and-comer. Which which is funny because, as Andrew mentioned, Tyson does know wrestling and did know wrestling. I think he just... He just biffed the lines there, but he knew what he was talking about. He knew the wrestlers. He was a big fan. So 25 when Henry Godwin comes in through number 30 and then the end with Vader, uh, Darren, some of the final thoughts on the rumble match itself. I would love some cold stone right now. That would, that would <laughs> I was going to say, it's a warm one here in Northern California. Yeah, yeah, I could use that. It's a, it's a hot sticky night here in, in New York city. Also. Um, yeah. I, I mean, look, you get down, you get down to it and you, Kind of like you said, you could see who's going to be serious and who's not. Uh, I mean, Vader gets two minutes of work in. I, I, I don't know why WWE, it's like every year, except like the year that they put Roman at 30 that I could think of, they always put a big monster at 30 and the guy's gone in like a minute. Instantly, it's been Big Show a few times or it's someone and they're just right out. Right out. Like, oh, this guy's going to win the war. I mean, I remember it like, Warlord one year was gone in a minute. Like one year was Adam Bomb, and I can remember Vince McMahon. Adam Bomb is gonna win. They're always out, you know. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like every year they put this big monster at thirty, and that's what happens. Um, yeah, I mean you can kind of see where it's going. You know, they have the Farouk Rock spot that they needed to get in. You know, you get the crazy Rock selling the Stone Cold Stunner, like you know he's kind of like in Mortal Kombat with like the whole get over here thing uh, as he's like stumbling around the ring before he gets tossed out. Um, Yeah, look, I mean, we've said it. It's not a star-studded cash. It's the coronation of Austin. That's what this rumble is supposed to be. But for me, I I really forgot that this particular Royal Rumble match did not have much firepower, had a lot of holes, had a lot of questionable booking. And, uh, yeah, it's weird because it's Austin's Rumble, and that's what you remember it for. But then watching it back, it's like, you know, you kind of do, like, the Rock's eyebrow. Like, hmm, this was not very good. Yeah. Okay, a couple of things here. Uh, Darren, you mentioned Reigns coming out at 30. If any of you out there in podcast land haven't seen the montage of members of the internet wrestling community watching the Rumble, (laughs) hoping for big names to come out that they liked, Samoa (laughs) Joe, Finn Balor, Seth, whatever. Watch that and just watch as the second Reigns' music hits, all of their faces just drop. (laughs) It is fantastic viewing if you need a smile for five minutes. It's great stuff. Highly recommend it. Andrew, do you think that McMahon is, was smart enough to do that, to just, like, knowingly piss everybody off? Or do you think that he is, like, that naive to, like, the wrestling fan that he actually thought that that was the right move? I wouldn't be surprised either way, solely because Reigns got the Luger push a couple of different times, and he got so close and so close and so close, and finally somebody, you know, talked some sense into Vince to where they had to back off him. And the only thing that got him over, unfortunately, was when he got diagnosed with leukemia. And now he's on the shelf because he's immune compromised. And when he comes back, he's going to be a bigger star than he was when he left. It's strange the way his career has unfolded. 
And when he retires, it's going to be really interesting to see Dave Meltzer and what he has to say about Reigns' career. That's going to be fascinating stuff, especially given everything that dude has been through. So the thing I did not remember about this Rumble and the thing WWE does not want you to remember about this Rumble, Dude Love comes out at number 28. Everybody remembers Mick Foley doing the three faces of Foley night. Everyone remembers, oh, yeah, Mick Foley doing great work with three different characters, da-da-da-da-da. The crowd is dead quiet when Dude Love comes to the ring. I think they're kind of, uh, like, upset in a weird way, too. It's like, oh, okay, we're doing this. Like, you just don't feel like he's going to win, cause, which Darren has hit on a few points. Like, him winning would have been absolute the the biggest heel move ever. Like he's been eliminated twice and he gets to win, yep. you know, with his third opportunity. So we never felt like that was gonna happen. I, I agree with you, Andrew. The crowd wasn't into it, and this is a, a character that the crowd was normally into. So that's another thing that was a swing and a miss. Yeah. Now, to be fair, Foley did win the crowd over with his in-ring work. When they got to the final four, it sort of paired off because Farouk and Rock were in the nation of domination. Dude Love hits the sweet shin music and the butterfly DDT, and the crowd pops for that. So he did win them over. But watching that entrance, I heard Dude Love's music, and I was expecting a pop that never came. It was deeply weird seeing that, because I remember Dude Love being very, very over. Now, Gino, I have a question, and if the answer is no, I'm going to be very disappointed, because on this podcast... You have done impressions of pretty much everybody saying every different thing under the sun. Are you really telling me that we're going to get through this Royal Rumble without you doing a Mike Tyson impression calling <laughs> Steve Austin Cold Stone? Are you really telling us that you're going to deprive the millions and millions of people out there in podcast land of this impression, one that your girlfriend and poor, poor young child have undoubtedly heard? Yeah, it was, you know, I, I, it wasn't one that I would initially just grab and, and go to because I probably haven't heard Tyson talk as much as I've heard some of the other guys cut their promos, but he definitely gets in. Cold Stone's my man. Cold Stone's my man. Shawn Michaels, that young up and come. I love the Undertaker, but Cold Stone is my man. So, I mean, sure. anybody. Well done. That's acceptable. I appreciate this, you doing that. I'll, I'll, I'll give it a try. I'll take a swing for you guys any, any day of the week. So, a lackluster rumble. The ending is what we all wanted, right? There's nothing wrong with the predictable ending. It's just get. It's almost felt like they they kind of went half ass because they're saying, okay, we're just gonna have Austin win. When he wins, the crowd's gonna go crazy. So the whole getting their point doesn't really matter that much. It, it's it kind of felt that way. We get into the main event, and the one thing that I noticed, right? So the if you're watching this on the WWE Network with the running time, the Royal Rumble ends. At two hours and eight minutes Just before two hours and eight minutes The bell does not ring For the start of the main event match Till two hours, twenty-one minutes and forty-five seconds So we've got about a fourteen minute gap From the end of the rumble To you get Austin celebrating You get the build-up packages For The Undertaker versus Shawn Michaels All the stuff with Kane in there And then obviously The Undertaker entrance to the ring Is going to take a little while So that's a ton of time in between with with nothing really happening. The match starts, and and well, there's a lot of build up too. We've got all the stuff with Kane at at Hell in a Cell at Bad Blood, and you know Jr's asking too right away, where is Kane? Is he going to be here? 
there are one one thing that we didn't mention. You know, this is nine late nineties when we get the laser pointers everywhere. You know, we see them three or four times throughout the show. People shining the laser laser pointers on the back of of someone, and it was a really good long foggy Undertaker entrance. Um, Tyson's up in the skybox doing the weird suck it. You know, his weird little version of the suck it that that would look like if if like your your friend who was trying to be cool did it, which I was always made me laugh. Um, and then you know we get to the match here. And this is a good, good match. I the ending obviously is what I think maybe takes it down from being a great match. We get speed versus power, lots of taker tossing Sean around. We get that big back body drop over the top rope. Sean sort of holds it like pushes himself over the casket, but the bump still kind of looks cool. Sean is really flying around uh, the ring early on with Taker, all of the advantage. They they have the casket cam, which I thought was kind of cool. Shows you the inside of the casket there. Sean almost gets put away early, and then he comes out of the casket with powder to the eyes of the Undertaker. So Sean's got the advantage now. He's turning things around. He hits a pile driver on the steel steps, Darren, and this thing looks good and nasty. Yeah, that was that was a crazy spot um, because you know there are some spots that you could see where it's safe. That that looked like you know you jump up and go oh shit like you know because you think like maybe that wasn't supposed to be entirely like you know like that uh, that was a really really good spot and uh, you know obviously Taker sold it well um, they, look like you said uh, it's a good match it's got some cool spots the stuff in the casket you know they, they do a couple of things in there the elbow drop into the casket and there's a couple of sequences that are good. Um, the thing for me is that I, I just can't stand the fact that they basically redid the, the 94 rumble finish. Same thing. Uh, same thing. You know, all right, well, we're just going to have everybody come out and, you know, double team uh, or everybody gang up on, on taker in order to, to beat them. Uh, I mean, you know, you did that already and, uh, and they did it again. Uh, and to be honest with you, they did, they did a couple of things from that rumble because like with Austin, where they tried to make it out like he wasn't coming out. That was like the Bret Hart thing from mm-hmm. 94. Yep. So they really redid both those kinds of angles. Um, you know, and it's like, all right, well, we've seen this already. Um, yeah, it, it was a good match. There were good spots in it. Uh, I enjoyed it. I didn't like the ending. I know you have, you have to get to the point where they light the thing on fire and all that stuff. And, of course, you know, they go to, you know, here's what happened after we went off the air. You know, the, the Undertaker wasn't in the casket. Oh, my God, where could he be, you know? Um, I mean, I get we had to get to all that. But, yeah, I mean, for me, the ending of that match was a little tired. Uh, and, and and it was the difference between it being close to four stars and probably closer to three. I liked this match. You could put HBK and The Undertaker out there in their sleep, and they'd probably have a good match, unless, of course, you're referring to their tag match in Saudi Arabia that we will never, ever, 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 ever speak <laughs> which, of ever which again. Which I have to point out that if you watch the Last Ride documentary, when they come back and Shawn Michaels goes, missed it by that much. <laughs> it was hilarious. <laughs> yeah. And Triple H is like dragging his arm. It's like hanging off of his <laughs> It's like it's like the Confederate Army coming home from Appomattox. As they <laughs> we have an Appomattox reference on the show. Okay, cross that off your bingo cards, folks. 
So here's the thing. For as good as this match is, and it's very good, at best, it is the fourth best match featuring HBK and The Undertaker. You have their two WrestleMania matches. You have the original Hell in the Cell. I would argue it might not be in the top five because they were the final two in the Royal Rumble in 2007, and they were the first two in the Royal Rumble in 2008. And both of those sequences were excellent. If you're a Royal Rumble fan as much as we are, go and watch the end of the 07 Rumble and the start of the 08 Rumble. It's a really cool little story that they told. So I liked this match. I didn't like the stuff in the casket. Michaels hits the elbow. When he hits the elbow to get into the casket, the lid shuts. Okay. So by rules of the match, both guys are in the casket. It's, it's over. over. It's a draw. Okay. All right. That's an instance where the stipulation really hurt the match because it hamstrung this, it a little bit. Yep. If this was HBK Taker and the ending was Kane coming out, beating Taker to a bloody pulp, Michael's getting his hand raised, pole bearer wheeling out a casket, Kane putting Taker in the casket, and then putting the casket on fire, does anything really change? Does Michaels not get hurt? Maybe, and the ending's better without all the people out there doing the same thing we did in 94, Rumble. We don't need Bariquas out there, you know what I mean? That just seemed weird. Um, I agree with you, Andrew. They could have, that's the problem with this show, is that there's nothing really, really terrible or inoffensive, and everything... The ending of of all the matches and a lot of the stuff makes a lot of sense. It's just there's a lot of meat on the bone that they left here. Uh, yeah, meat on the bone is a, it's a very good uh, point. And to be fair, this wasn't meant to be a seven thousand star classic. This was meant for Taker to beat Michaels within an inch of his life, Kane to come out do the turn to set up WrestleMania, and it got there. It was still a very good match. Mm -hmm. It wasn't the kind of great match that we knew they had in them. Yeah. Go ahead, Darren. I think think Andrew's point is well well taken, where the Royal Rumble is supposed to be an event in and of itself. Sure, the Rumble winner sets up the main event at WrestleMania. We all know that. But this was a little too much of Let's bridge the gap uh, from where we are to where we want to be. The storylines, a lot of them all continue. You know, it's not just building the one main event. The Shamrock Rock thing continues. The Undertaker Kane thing. There's a lot of spots in this this rumble that are solely for the purpose of setting up what's going to happen in two and a half months. And I get it. Like, you know, you need to build storylines. But the Royal Rumble is supposed to be, at this point, I would say it's your second biggest event. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, uh, and it needs to, and it needs to stand out more than what this particular year's edition did. Did it feel like a part of of something else? I, I agree with you. So, um, a couple of like from the the middle part to the end of part of that match. So Sean hits that pile driver, and then. Uh, Triple H is using the crutch outside the ring Sean's using a chair And Taker fights out of the casket Sean slows it down 
It's basically a six or seven minute showcase For Shawn Michaels after that I mean we get all of Shawn Michaels move Swinging neck breaker, flying forearm Elbow off the top, sweet chin music Rolls taker into the casket And then he stands on top of it um, he drapes, you know, he, he stands with one leg on top of each side of the casket And he goes for the suck it crotch chop And then Taker grabs him by the crotch And tosses yeah. him back into the ring um, And then Taker's like a house of fire Huge back body drop Sean upside down into the turnbuckle Big clothesline You could tell JR, he's starting to pick up some business here And uh, Taker goes for the flying clothesline Sean ducks And Taker goes rolling into the casket I will say it was it was around this time in from about I think it's like middle '96 and maybe some of the stuff with Diesel where we start seeing Taker take bumps like we never saw before. He's he's throwing his body around a little bit here. Even this is like he's going for a flying clothesline. Sean misses. He goes flying and he and he rolls into the uh, into the casket. And Sean goes to the top rope. Elbow drop off the top on the taker in the casket. This is what Andrew said. Both men are in there and the door shuts, so they should be out. Uh, and then Sean climbs back out as he's getting into the ring. Um, taker grabs him by the legs and he pulls him back into the casket, which is a great spot. The facial expressions on both of these guys as Sean is like digging his nails into the mat and Taker's pulling him back in with this evil look on his face. I thought that was kind of cool. But then they both are back into the casket. It's closed. They both pop uh, pop back out. We get a huge choke slam. Taker jumps and uh, tombstones Sean into the casket, which was a cool spot. He's about to win when China nails the referee. And then here comes the New Age Outlaws and the Los Bariquas. They team up on the Undertaker. Um, the lights go out. And here comes Kane and JR is going insane here. The Unholy Alliance, the Brothers of the Night. The crowd is going crazy. Kane fights everyone off. Taker slowly pulls himself up. It looks like they're going to embrace. Uh, Triple H and Sean, uh, uh, Triple H and China pull Shawn Michaels out of the casket. And then once Kane is up, he just nails Taker. He attacks Taker, choke slams him into the casket, shuts the lid. Sean wins. And then Paul Bearer comes out. He locks the casket. They push the casket down uh, to the end of the aisle. Kane uses an axe. He cuts the thing open. And then they pour gasoline all over. And yes, they light the casket on fire. Burning the Undertaker alive, or so we thought. But Darren, you can't kill what's already dead. The dead man would be back. I mean, overall, it's it's an era that we love, right? I love this time period because there's so many things going on. There's a lot of... Um, Wrestlers that we know that are about to become Big stars but I, I feel How both of you feel a little bit Good spots throughout the show but maybe We were just expecting a little bit more Knowing that this was kind of you know The start to the the Austin rise Yeah yeah, that, that, that's How I came, came away from it I mean even The ending with the with the casket and the Fire again it's like they Were trying to recreate 94 Now in the 90 The end of the 94 rumble you know, they do a similar thing where, I mean, it's even worse where, I mean, you know, Taker's literally just getting annihilated by probably like 10 to 12 guys, you know, and a lot of big, you know, Diesel, Bam Bam Bigelow, the head shrinkers, they're all in there just pummeling and, and like landing their finishers on Taker. They put him in the casket and they then they start to wheel him out. And then you get like the crazy lightning and everything goes black and Taker appears on the screen and, like, he gives that great speech, you know, death be not proud, you know. And, and he, you know, resurrects from the top of the 
of the of this, the the uh, the big like jumbotron, and you kind of see like the silhouette of the Undertaker floating in the air. And I remember my father like looking at me, going, "What the hell is going on?" <laughs> yeah, like, like that was like really cool because it was the first time they did that. You know, this was like, all right, they're kind of doing that again. That you know, all right, you got fire. You know, fire can be cool. All right, you know, whatever. Um, but yeah, for me, I get what they were doing. You know, it didn't offend me, but I, I, looking back on it, I really thought there was more to this than there was. And for me, I came away with it feeling a little bit disappointed. This wasn't a terrible show. It had its high spots. It had its moments. Before we recorded, I sent both Gino and Darren a text message saying, boy, that was a great house show that we reviewed. Because it felt like that. It felt like this wasn't a blow-off show. It wasn't a big four show. It was things happened on the road to WrestleMania. And to be fair, they checked a lot of boxes. We wanted Stone Cold getting his moment. Check. We wanted a lot of Mike Tyson. Check. We wanted to set up Undertaker and Kane. Check. There are things that happened on this show that are not bad. It's just when you sit down and you watch what we think of as a big four pay-per-view, you expect a little bit more than we got. Yeah, I think we all we all hit it pretty uh, pretty well there. So, Andrew, my good friend, I'm scared. I'm a little terrified to ask what's coming up next, um, what your selection is going to be. This was Darren's pick. My pick right before that was uh, Survivor Series 1997 with the Montreal Screwjob. Where are we going to be heading next week for our old wrestling rewatch? Okay, we are going back to Ted Turner's WCW. But, Darren, I'm going to do you a favor, okay? Okay. I am going to pick a WCW show that Hulk Hogan is not on. Okay. Okay. There is is a hidden gem pay-per-view. Nobody ever talks about as being significant. But from an in-ring perspective, it's excellent. And it has one of the great segments in the history of professional wrestling. Everyone remembers Bash at the Beach 96 with Hulk Hogan coming out, dropping the leg, turning heel, NWO reform, or forms, I should say. No one remembers the pay-per-view before that. I'm referring to the Great American Bash 1996, one of my all-time favorite pay-per-views. On this pay-per-view, you have several legitimate four-star matches. You have the American debut, on a big stage at least, of a guy named Rey Mysterio Jr. You have Sting and Lord Steven Regal being given 20 minutes to tear the house down. You have a tag match between Ric Flair and Arn Anderson and Kevin Green and Steve McMichael that had no right to be any good and wound up being a legitimately great match. Here's the bad news, and here is the inevitable conversation that we had to have this show has a Voldemort match and it's not any Voldemort match. This is one of the matches with Kevin Sullivan. That's downright hard to watch, even harder to watch than most. Right. Yep. And um, it's incredibly difficult to watch given all of the extracurricular circumstances that happen. So what I'm going to float to you guys is I want to do this show but we skip that match entirely. 
If you're out there and you want to see this match, it's on the network. You can't skip to it automatically. You have to watch to the end of John Tenta and Big Bubba Rogers, which is the worst match on the show, to get to that match. If you want to watch it, it's a tremendous match, but it takes a lot of effort separating Benoit the performer from Benoit the human being, and that's just not a step I want to take. Still, though, this is a great show, and it is punctuated by the very first time Eric Bischoff is seen in any sort of an authority figure role, and he gets powerbombed off the stage. It's a great show, and I'm really looking forward to watching this with you, and I'm looking forward to gaining some goodwill points after I made everyone sit through Hogan Warrior 2 a couple of weeks ago. So we are Great American Bash 1996. We're going to be right before the NWO is formed. This is a good selection, and I, I agree with you. With the you know, we'll address these these other you know uh, pay per views and other WWF shows later down the line. The ones that have been Wall Voldemort in them, and and we'll talk about what we're going to do with the matches. But it's it's we're doing this for fun. We do these segments to have a good time. It's sad when we have to look back and talk about wrestlers who um, have sad stories, who have passed away, who are, you know, who died or who went too early. But just opening up that whole can of worms with Benoit and everything, it just feels like a road that I don't we don't want to have to go down right now with everything else going on in the world and stuff. Like we come here to give people a fun time to watch some wrestling. I think that's a great point, Andrew. So we'll work around that match. We'll cover the rest of the Great American Bash ninety six. I think that's a good idea. I'm looking forward to this. I appreciate you guys understanding that. And maybe if times get better, we can revisit that. But it's just especially it's not with worth this, it. We don't have with to. this match and this angle in particular, given everything going on around it, just hard pass. Yeah, no, not needed. So, okay, the homework is in. Great American Bash 1996 is going to be the, the show next week. Darren Zocali, this was yours 98. Again, We'll pick worse shows. We'll pick better shows. Looking back, this show was was just kind of there from a quality standpoint. It's important, very important. Is it? It's you know unfortunate because this is this is the reason why Shawn Michaels is gone for a few years too. Something we don't really talk about. He gets injured in this match with Taker. You know, as as I think Andrew briefly mentioned, if the, the match was different, maybe we don't get the injury, but. That's what makes this show pivotal too Is after this, Sean really only has One other match in the WWF The 98 Mania match, and then we don't see Sean Again for, what is it, two and a half years Or what, four and a half years, 2002 Yep, yeah, sounds and, right and, and, it, and it's wild because he really You know, screws up his back here And you can see him Wince, but He's still doing all the HPK Things throughout, the, and that happens very Early on in the match, by the way Yeah um, so, but he's still, you know, he's doing his kip ups. He's doing all of the HBK stuff, elbow drops, a, and everything. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, look, you you can understand him getting through a match like at WrestleMania because I'm sure he's loaded up on painkillers. Um, but when that injury first happens, yeah, maybe the adrenaline takes it away a little bit. But he's got to work through that for this entire match, and uh, it, it's wild to see him kind of do that. Looking back on it, knowing how injured he was, and yeah, maybe if this wasn't a stipulation match and that casket wasn't there, you could certainly make the case that HBK doesn't get hurt, and maybe he doesn't need a four-year hiatus. You know, it's uh, it's one of those things that just changes the uh, the landscape of the of the uh, organization for for quite a long period of time. 
the domino effect from that is extraordinary. And we'll talk a little bit more about that at, at some point, some other time. But just even thinking, if Shawn Michaels is healthy, does he refuse to job to Austin? Does he pull the same tricks that he pulled with Brett? Does Vince tolerate that? Does he move to WCW for a big money offer? There are so right. many different ways that could have gone. Is Triple and- H ever Triple H even? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, is he going to become the forefront main star or does he always kind of feel like the little brother to Shawn Michaels, which exactly. he did? Exactly. Yeah. He, he, and it's, it's just a, yeah. There's a lot of layers. On here. Ton of layers so looking forward to getting Back to WCW for next week for 96 Andrew Champagne Give us your plugs Darren Zocali give us your Plugs sure at Andrew Champagne on Twitter a lot of Fun things going on a lot of horse Racing things going on a lot of Golf things going on my dad's coming Out here next week we're playing Pebble Beach In about a week and a half so hopefully I don't make a fool out of myself On the course at Pebble Beach but uh Really excited for that, and I'm just trying to work myself into something resembling a swing between now and then. So a lot of cool (laughs) things going on on my end, and the Champagne and JD podcast also online. If you find this on YouTube, go to our YouTube channel, hit the subscribe button, and we'll be able to give you some really cool weekly content. Uh, Yeah, uh, on Twitter, at at the track 7 Yeah, uh, playing Pebble Beach is a bucket list of mine, Andrew. I am a... I, I play golf twice a week with two of my friends, and uh, we actually talked about that possibly for my 40th birthday trip, heading out there and doing uh, a California trip and including that. So uh, enjoy that because that is an absolute bucket list uh, of mine. Um, yeah, uh, a lot of fun racing stuff to talk about uh, You know, this coming week as well, uh, the Belmont in the books. We found out that the Kentucky Derby is going to be able to have fans. We don't know how many yet, but hey, it's another step in the right direction. Uh, hopefully that can happen because obviously we know numbers in places other than New York don't look too promising right now, but uh, hopefully that's the case come September. So, um, you know, a lot of golf to look forward to, a lot of horse racing to look forward to. We'll see if sports keep opening up. So we'll certainly have more things to talk about in the near future, Gino, than we've had for the last three months. And, hey, that's something. Absolutely. And I mean, after talking three hours last week, it feels like we're, this feels like nothing. We just got to two hours. It's like, we got to, what are we going to do for the next 45 minutes here? So, I mean, uh, I've got a show to film. So yeah. you guys are on your own. Am I, I, must, I might get to bed before midnight. To I was going to say, this is a first for, uh, for us. So, fellas, thank you very much. It's a lot of fun. And I look forward to talking some WCW with you guys next week. Thanks, Gino. Always Take it easy, buddy. Don't go anywhere, folks. We'll hear from one of our sponsors, and then we'll close things out on That's What G Said. Big thank you to all the guests. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Trey. Thank you, Darren. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks to all of you for tuning in. Don't forget to go subscribe, rate, review, download, share with your friends. Let anyone know that likes uh, horse racing or all the sports and wrestling that we cover. No, about That's What G Said. Joey Cleveland, take it away.